about a swarm. I take my boys everywhere I go because I'm paranoid. I keep looking over my shoulder and peeping around corners. My mind is playing tricks on me. The Combing the Stacks podcast, your go-to podcast for six decades of music, three albums at a time. Each decade, we cover over 200 albums spanning all musical genres and tastes, from the well-known acts to the cult favorites. Your tour guides on this journey are John, Josh, and Matt, three amateur music podcasters who all share a love of music and a shared quest to hear the next great album. And now, we head into the Stacks. It's Thanksgiving Eve in the United States of America, November 22nd, 2023, and you're listening to the Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. I'm John, joined as always by two turkeys of their own, Josh and Matt. Uh, We have four very interesting albums this evening, as well as five singles. I'll do a quick check-in here. I was going to say quick check-in real quick, so that's a little bit redundant. But first, I will remind you that anything you ever want to know about this podcast in terms of resources for the show, you can go to the Combing the Stacks Music Podcast Letterbox. You want to hear two songs from every album we've ever covered, go to Spotify and search Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. Want to see individual album reviews in audio form? Go to YouTube, Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. Want to hear the whole show? Go to any major podcasting platform. But you know what? Maybe start with Spotify for Podcasters, our host, uh, and check us out there just because, you know, there are, I guess they're the, the official platform of the CTS revolution, if you will. All right, enough spitball in there. Everybody knows where to find us. Josh, how do we find you this evening? Well, I am doing well, drinking a whiskey and Coke, mm. uh, kicking off the vacay, finished the first stage of the pie earlier. And okay. what type and, of pie? Uh, lemon cream pie with honey and ginger. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited, excited for Thanksgiving as always, and uh, and the rest and relaxation that comes with it. And I'm excited for the show tonight. 
Awesome. Matt, any pies in your household? Uh, no, no pies. I did make some, I did make a potato dish. Nice. Um, that is all dairy and all fat. It's delicious. <laughs> and potato. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's I'm a couple, of this there's like a potato in before. there. Yeah. Yeah. I've made it. This is like a go-to dish. If I'm bringing to a, uh, a gathering of, of any kind, potluck, what have you, it's a, mm. uh, it's a very easy, delicious recipe and, um, not very healthy. So you don't want to eat it too much. So that's why it's only for special occasions. So Did I prepared that, that earlier. It's, I seem to recall you made that in grad school. Maybe yep. is that true? <laughs> it's I'm sure it is. It's been many years. I've been, you know, I, I'm good to make that once or twice a year. I think is yeah. kind of where that's I'm like right that now. grilled cheese sandwiches at fish shows and uh-huh. uh, a couple other, yeah, a couple <laughs> yep. other things along the way. Yep. Yep. What, what do you contribute to the, the feast, John? I so I got home. I'm uh, full disclosure. I uh, will be at my sister's place for Thanksgiving tomorrow. So I'm at my parents home today. So I got in late last night. And so today uh, we were responsible for bringing several side dishes. So Mm. together the unit of my parents and I whipped up a a green bean casserole, a homestyle macaroni and cheese and some greens, some some collard Mm. greens, some leafy greens. So that's our contribution. My sister will be taking care of the hors d'oeuvres, turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes, all that fun stuff. So, John, is your uh, is your dad going to be making a contribution to the podcast, stopping by and, and giving his take on the Ghetto Boys tonight? <laughs> well, that would we're, be awesome. we're in the '90s now, so my dad's um, mm. knowledge dips a little bit. He, yeah. he kind of like when the late '80s hits. I'm not going to say he tuned out of music, but in terms of him driving the car of leading me places, um, mm. he was still listening to albums from in the 90s from time to time but uh no there will not be as many contributions but mm. i did play him this evening full disclosure before we came once again i did play him i was describing um metallica's concert with the san francisco symphony orchestra oh yeah so i did play him no leaf clover the song from there and he did give it a stout thumbs up so endorsed did, did that okay well we can talk about that i guess when we get to the blackout yeah. but um yeah Absolutely. sounds good you're Let's the nation of domination walking into your sister's household with the size. Something, something like that. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a massive, uh, a, a massive attack of sides. You like that? <laughs> yeah. Blue yeah. yes. lines of sides. So, all right. Yeah, a so, Metallica of sides. Themed music dishes. <laughs> well, I want to move us into the singles because yeah. I don't want to restrict if we have some fun takes here. And I know that Josh said we went a little long last week, but oh, yeah. I don't want to dial it back too much if it starts to get fun or there's good stories. So I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. I'll pick the final three in order, but I will give, uh, last week I gave Josh, I think the first one. So I'm going to give Matt the ability to pick whatever first one he wants to start with. I think I went first last time, but I'll go again if you want. Okay. Then we'll do that. And I'll give give guys, let's, we didn't start the fire. We got to start there. (laughs) We have to start there. We do. And I'm going to take a take on that. Um, You take take. Everybody knows this song, I think. Yeah, for, I think probably so. Most people, like, it was pretty omnipresent. Um, and I think Billy Joel was Well, I don't know this. everybody. Maybe like everybody over 30. Probably. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's a good point, John. Thank you. Uh, it, it certainly was omnipresent when I was a kid. And I think Billy Joel was my second concert ever next to uh, – it was Phil Collins, then Billy Joel, then Tom Petty. I think it was the <laughs> trifecta, the golden yeah. trifecta. Um, wow. And uh, – I so this song is a history lesson, and I think 
I've heard people talk about how uh, they've had in history reports, like re- researching all the the uh, the topics that are that are thrown out there by Billy Joel, and uh, it's this is certainly a novelty song um, yes. that 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 Billy Joel I think in future years even recently talked about how much he dislikes this song and it's an easily i mean in the in a world full of billy joel haters this is maybe top of their list of of, of hate most hated billy joel songs yeah. but fellas this is song it's got a little nostalgia dripping off it for for me um and i it is a ridiculous song but it's also i will say that it's a very unique song um and it's is you know it? It's. I think so. I'm I think gonna it's, challenge it's, that later on my team. It's a unique. Yeah. No, I'm not saying it's the most unique song ever, but it's like the shtick. The shtick and what he's doing. Yeah, it's kind of a unique song. So, um, and I, I've, I liked the song as a kid. I've, I have, I've, as I've gotten older, I haven't liked it as much as I was a kid. Yeah. But there's still, there's still enough for me to kind of, you know, to draw upon here. Uh, it's, uh, it's repetitive for sure. But there's something about it that just makes me intrigued, and and I will not turn it off, and I will groove to it. So I would, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. I know it's not gonna make the buzz bin because at least one of you guys is gonna say no to that, which is totally fine. It probably both of you, but uh, I'm gonna stand, I'm gonna stand up for Billy Joel, and we didn't start the fire. It is a ridiculous song, but I'm sometimes okay with ridiculous songs. Do we do we know the stats on the song at all? Did it was it like extremely popular? I mean, I know obviously I'll look them up. No, oh, yeah, one for many many weeks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's on so, MTV and VH1 both yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's this song is like so kind of indelible in some ways, and I think it it marks a certain period of where we were in in U.S. history and stuff. I I kind of came at the song from a an analytical perspective. I was like, who actually knows what this stuff is anymore? And all the references (laughs) there are. And I I was like, I feel like I'm well-versed in history. And I was like 60, 40, maybe 70, 30 on, on everything that was referenced in the song. Um, I, I agree with you, Matt. I don't have an affection for the song, but it, it does have, you know, the, we didn't start the fire with the, with the piano is kind of, it's it gets in your head there's no there's no question about it the structure of the song and whatever he sings about kind of annoys me um i did do gel Jones and listen to the fallout boy uh remake or oh whatever it was that. also and that is not good um as well um <laughs> <laughs> it's actually less focused because i think billy joel's references go in chronological order and and Oh Fall yeah, out boys don't really. <laughs> so, yeah, so they it's it's um it's a half-assed attempt in my opinion, and this isn't the best way to learn history. So if you're listening to this song <laughs> to learn history, um, I'm giving you an F. And so I don't know. The video is also not very good, I find, and Billy Joel himself seems half-hearted in the video. So I, I'm going to give a thumbs down to this video. I think this song only works in the context of the time it was released. I don't think it holds up anymore like many of the other songs that we listen to do um, and many of the other singles. So, yeah. And there's much better Billy Joel songs, in my opinion. You know, we're kind of, I think we're kind of middling to, to negative on Billy Joel as a group. And I think uh, no, Matt likes Billy Joel fine enough. I do. I'm not, I'm not yeah. a huge fan, but I, I'd yeah, say I I'm more, more, I'd say more <laughs> than okay. middling. He's the middling. Yeah. Okay. I was about to say he's, I, I think he likes Billy Joel more than middling. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think there's I'd better stuff 
better Billy there's Joel def- that we've there's talked definitely about. Better Billy, there's definitely <laughs> yeah. better Billy Joel than this, yeah. for sure, yes. So thumbs down for me on this one. Well, I don't like Billy Joel, and this song <laughs> certainly doesn't change my opinion. This song is like, first of all, you can't write a more baby boomer song. Yeah. Than oh, this. yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. is so up its ass, like in terms of like, we didn't start the fire. We just inherited this crazy war, which of course now like, right. I feel like Gen Z is saying the same thing about the baby boomer. So it kind of all comes full circle, right? Like, you know, we inherited your shitty world. And they're right. like, well, we inherited from like our parents. So it, it's a funny slice of life in that. It's like kind of there. But yeah, this is like coincides with the baby boomers peak period of i guess pop culture power i guess mm-hmm. and this song just seems like it was ai generated to appeal to them <laughs> much like much like most billy of joel's billy the joel's original career, ai generator yeah I, I do truly think that billy joel's whole career is like he hears something or someone and he goes i think this sounds good I'm going to do my, and I think a lot of his career is like, I heard this thing that Elton John did. So like, I'm going to do it. But at other times it's like, I just heard the girl groups from the fifties again. So I'm going to do that. Or, you know, there's just always something. And this song just has always struck me as like Billy Joel turns on the radio one day and it just so happens to be playing. It's the end of the world as we know it by REM. And he goes, I'd like to make a song that's similar to that in my own way. And so this is him sort of making a song that combines his view of pop culture slash history mixed with trying to do End of the World as We Know It by R.E.M., but for his thing. And I think that's part of the reason that Billy Joel doesn't like this song is because as he got older, I think even he realized, like, oh, this is pretty hacky. Um I know Matt always says, and I will not, I'll try to end with a positive on this. He does have a, what makes Billy Joel work is that he has a gift for melody, right? That's what his special sauce is. It's just, uh, just nothing about, it's so try hard to me um, in the way that so much of Billy Joel's stuff is try hard, like trying Mm -hmm. to be profound without being profound. And I agree, Josh, it very much screams 1990. Yep. to 1991 maybe 89 if you know you want to go three-year period uh i get why it was popular because it has the billy joel melody. I, I never struggle to understand why billy joel is popular at all like that's so i'm not going to be right. a hater in that sense he's just not made for me it's just i always feel like instead of listening to billy joel i'll just listen to somebody else who did what billy joel is trying to do better than billy joel and i yeah. and you can hear me go into a longer in-depth description of that when we covered um what is a innocent man right was what we covered in, in no it wasn't seven. innocent man it was an innocent man um, no, it was a stranger stranger that's right yep the stranger sorry about that mixed it up so i i listened to both those albums that week just to kind of give me the taste so i mixed them up together so yeah this one's a thumbs down for me guys unfortunately and i know that we're going to be covering him again later in the 90s as well oh, so we'll okay. see if maybe that hits a little bit more for me see so well josh what's your choice let's go with jane child don't want to fall in love okay this was i don't remember if i heard this song before but i i really liked it i i found it incredibly uh catchy this falls into the category of women that were singing that i thought were black but aren't um, it has this kind of R and B, uh, nature to it. it has, and I like the synth in- incorporation of the synth into it and the 
um, she's got a really good voice as well, I think, especially for this. And it's got this kind of dancey quality to it and just kind of like upbeat, uh, you know, contrast the upbeat tempo with kind of the the message of the song was she doesn't want to fall in love and it cuts like a knife and and it's it's a bad experience. So she's like resisting that, but it's kind of like a in some ways it's a joyous song as well. She's a, were you going to say something? No, I interject. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh yep. yeah. And uh, the video, I didn't know who this person was. I think she's a one hit wonder. I kind of gather. She's at least definitely a one hit wonder. <laughs> yeah. yep. mm-hmm. She's got an interesting look to her with hair. She's got spiky hair at the long braids and, and a she nose has an ring. interesting origin story too, <laughs> that like she was raised in like a religious household, went to mm-hmm. like a conservatory type deal and, and she's Canadian also. Yep, she's that's Canadian. Not, that's not as unusual, but... <laughs> I think harder. her parents were, like, classically trained composers or something like that. Oh, okay. That was... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they didn't allow, like, rock music in the house. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, she's fully turned away from that, it seems, at least in this song. And the, the nose ring is also a choice. I feel like that's very 90s in some ways. And well, it's not just a nose. Ring. <laughs> that's right. A, right. Sig- that's what I was gonna say. The nose <laughs> ring by itself, people are like, "Well, yeah, hey, what's the big deal?" Know, okay, boomer. Like nose. <laughs> it's not like just a small nose ring. It's like a full chain coming out yeah. of the nose. Yes, connecting to the ear, like some sort of Star Trek like uh, person and uh, adornment. And yeah, so I really enjoyed this song. I like I like the danceable nature to it, and I'm giving it a thumbs up. I think it should go into the list. Yeah, I can't say I dislike this one either. I, I remember this video on MTV because she did have a very interesting look. It was um, it was kind of like part braided hair. So it, yeah. I guess going like, you know, you know, white girl Jamaica braided hair right. kind of <laughs> with, with a little bit of an attempt to be alternative, I guess, in the alternative rock rising era but it sounds nothing like alternative rock and then there's a definite femininity because she's in the same lane that people like paula abdul and Mm -hmm. shanice and uh debbie gibson uh taylor dane right all of who have various degrees of pipes right um on there but yeah there's absolutely nothing offensive about this song um it's catchy um it puts you in a good mood. It's what I call a mall song. It is a song that you would hear at the mall in this era. Uh, and I know in the past I've also called certain songs like roller rink songs and stuff. It's This is all of those things, right, when you would go and hang out with people. So yeah. it, it has – this type of music has a nostalgia in the sense that it reminds me of being a certain age, that if you were not that age at the time, I completely understand without the nostalgia why you might say, ah, oh, this is like mid – along you know along the way but it's a pleasant mm-hmm. sound for me and as straight ahead synth yeah what would you call this like synth synth pop yeah i'd say a synth dance pop from a female singer of this era goes i'd put it solid in the same way i had the the power ballad thermometer right mm-hmm. <laughs> of like transcends to all the way to awful you know and sometimes it's just a matter of how it sounds and it's the same type song but it sounds like better out of certain people than others this one sounds better than others so um it's not quite like the high-end paula abdul or you know taylor dane's best stuff but um it's just under that right so thumbs up Mm -hmm. for me i think i'd put it in my bin 
I think I'm going to be the dissenting voice here. Oh. Um, because I think it's it's fine. It's it's this, but this to me doesn't really get to above any level above that. Really, I think it's 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 a little bit of a generic type of you know dance pop song to me. And I think what turns me off the most about it is the 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 production, not the production necessarily, but the but the sound of the keys. It's got this very kind of harsh sounding, like it's almost like over, not overproduced, but the sound is like extra, right? It's like this this um. It's almost like a pounding of the keyboard that's got this yeah. like extra like sound to it, which yeah. I think she overdoes it, particularly when she's doing the solo. Like the t it sounds very dated to me mm. um, as a result of that. And again, I'm it's not almost metallic. I would say is the it's just got this. Keys, it's almost yeah. got like a little bit of a fart noise into it, like that you know, like the reverberation or whatever. It's yeah. like this. It's like over. It's like it's almost like it's too loud, you know, uh, in in the uh, in the mixing. But it's not that. It's just the effect of the keyboard that she's using. Yeah. Um. So it to me, it's a little bit. It's certainly got a good beat. It's danceable. I think her voice is 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 her voice is good. It's not like otherworldly, but her voice is very strong and very good. And um. But like yeah, if I'm gonna, I I don't think. I I, this rises to the like oh I would want to listen to this multiple times or put it in my buzz bin so um, I, I don't know and I think maybe it's because of that production that really or that sound of the keyboard that's kind of permeates and certainly is there in the solo uh, knocks it down for me so uh, while I, I'm fine with it and I would say generally speaking I like it certainly not a buzz bin song for me though Okay. I get it. I, I like the use of the guitar in the song. I think mm -hmm. it helps to balance out the keys a little bit. I think if the guitar wasn't there, I might feel a little bit more like you do. But yeah. the, the guitar line in it um, moves it up for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the chorus does repeat a lot. So I, I guess if you don't like the keyboard part, then it would, it would grate on you. So, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. Okay. Well, we don't have anything in the buzz bin yet. Let's let's see oh. if we can find one this week or if there isn't one. I'm going to choose Freedom 90 by George Michael. So we, we covered George Michael in the 80s. Faith, I think all of us yep. were big fans of it. I don't think you can talk about Faith without talking about the video and kind of where George Michael was at this point, right? Where he was su like suing his record company, I believe, Sony. And so he his only presence in the video is just a burning jacket from his last album, which is <laughs> certainly symbolic since he was pitched understandably as a sex symbol. And I think the story about this was that they wanted him to just kind of stay in the, the lane right before and be a sex mm -hmm. symbol. And he said, well, I'll give you a sexy video. All right. And he does, mm -hmm. he gives you an incredibly sexy video. It just doesn't happen to have him in it. It's got right. <laughs> mostly a, a who's who Glaringly of 90s supermodel. I think, who was it? We had Linda Evangelista was in there. You yep. have Naomi Campbell is in there. Mm -hmm. You've got um, Cindy, Cindy Crawford, Crawford is in yep. there and a couple others. Christy uh, Turlington. Christy Turlington, yep. And, uh, and a couple male models as well yeah. who are, mm -hmm. you know, all of these are, extremely beautiful people right across the board so it, i do appreciate it and it's beautifully shot the video it's it's a it's an incredible video and i really like this song it's just it's very unique and it's it's hard to describe the sound of this song guys it's got like a little bit of a nostalgic feeling mm -hmm. it's got a a little bit of what would come in the 90s with euro Trash dance, I think would be the best way I'd put it. There's funkiness to it, like there is with a lot of George Michael songs. And and George Michael's got a great voice. He's one of the better blue-eyed soul singers yep. um, ever, but certainly in this era, um, I think definitely. Compared to somebody like, um, 
like, I don't know, the other people singing Blue-Eyed Soul in this era were like Rick Astley and Michael Bolton and stuff, and they're fine, but I, I, I don't find myself revisiting them in the way that I would revisit George Michael albums. So yep. this one definitely goes in my buzzbin. Thumbs up. Yeah, what about you, Matt? Uh, this not only goes in my buzzbin, this might be my favorite song that's been in the buzzbin since we started this. Cause this yeah, this song oh, is, yeah, reaches a high level for you. Dude, yeah. this song, yeah, this song is awesome. Like, if you don't like this song, like, check your pulse, man. This is, like, just a great... The, the, so, I mean, describing the sound of it, I mean, to me, it's two two main things. It's, it's the piano, which yeah. is prominent throughout it. It's got this just great rock and roll kind of, like, piano groove that's playing it and behind that is just a great beat right that's used there's a number of different percussion you know uh instruments that's being used and like and and probably like a, ba- a bass line behind that as well but it's just it's just so infectious and it's so it, it, it it's it's just a great song to just you know as soon as i hear it i start like i i, I can't stop moving to it it's just like yep. it's it's got a, it's very infectious and his voice is great behind it too and it changes up variations and it kind of like it there's some building there there's it's got a great chorus um that builds upon the chorus and then at the end it's got this kind of bridge that takes in a little bit of a different direction and there's just so much energy behind this and so that it, is and a great just, part that that's what you get yeah, that's, that's what, what you, you get, get for yeah. changing your mind yeah it's just yeah. it's so it's little things throughout that's like that keeps you interested so it doesn't just hit on the one note like the last song we just talked about was like yeah it's kind of the chorus is the same thing over again yeah, yeah. and this is just like adding little bits and pieces here and there that just kind of like takes it to that other level this is a fantastic song and it certainly goes in my buzz bin. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. This is a fantastic song. I, f- I feel like this is really kind of George Michael's legacy in some reason. I think this is the song that he'll be known for maybe more than anything else. Um, the video kind of coincides with that, I should point out. It is directed by David Fincher, and uh, so that's why it, it looks so good and has an interesting point of view. Um, I, I did notice that, you know, Mike, Michael was not in the video, but, uh, um, you know, that, that doesn't detract from it at all. The, I think the singing is Well, but he did notch. have a presence, Josh, the burning jacket. Yeah. Was <laughs> <Okay. laughs> him. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it, it captures kind of what made George Michael special. I, I was kind of mixed or kind of underwhelmed by the album when we talked about it the first one that he did but i i feel like this is kind of a step up and and demonstrates what's special about him uh the video i've never seen the video before actually or at least i don't ever remember seeing it so what were your thoughts uh yeah it was great it was very interesting i thought it was very sexy and um and it was fun to see like everyone lip-syncing his lyrics too as well and yeah, n- no complaints. I-, I agree. This is this is like one of the best singles probably of the '90s. I would say. I mean, we're early on. <laughs> it's only 1990 when it yeah. when it came out. So well, we're gonna uh, have over 320 of the minimum, <laughs> yes. Josh, to compare against it. So, and then we'll yeah. rank them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I can so. barely get you guys to update the date. The, <laughs> yeah, the that ain't, that ain't yeah. happening. Yeah. Okay, this is number one. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, thumbs up for me. Okay. Well, we have one in the buzz bin, guys. I, I had a feeling that might be the one that goes yeah. in. So let's move to the Soup Dragons, who Josh expressed some curiousness about <laughs> yeah. last week. I'm free. Um, uh, so I had the last take. Josh, we'll give you the first take on this one. 
Uh, I really hate this uh, this type <laughs> oh, wow. song okay. and <laughs> type of music. Um, I don't. This is a. Tr- this don't be afraid be- of freedom, Josh. <laughs> yeah. This becomes a trend in the '90s of this like quasi hippie-ish, like hacky sack uh, <laughs> dance music type of song. Um, I really don't like when they incorporate like a reggae singer into into the video as well they did that with sugar ray i didn't like it then also and and i think there's other examples that that's the other end of, of the 90s yeah guys. so you were yeah. hating so on the, the whole book, 90s the book end. yeah i i really don't like this you know the the kind of free love reinvention for the 90s and the it's almost like it kind of actually coincides a little bit with with primal scream which we're going to talk about later but this kind of like dance feel good like drug this song is very kind of like drug um enhanced by drugs i think and like kind of the rave culture or acid acid house as they call it in britain and and uh yeah i just don't i i just find it annoying and it's like a song that you would stick on a movie soundtrack or like in a shrek movie or something and and uh yeah i'm just not not about that life so uh, no soup dragons. Go, go back to wherever you came from. <laughs> wow, man. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I do remember this song, and a lot of the things that Josh is saying is correct. That that you know, it's kind of like the deriving, you know, going back to the '60s and kind of yeah. you know, but also kind of making it, you know, incorporating the reggae and the the funk and the synths and whatever to kind of make it its own. It's it's still a '90s sounding song, even though it's kind of deriving or picking up pieces from other mm-hmm. places. Um, I'm not, I'm not as negative on it. I, I like this one. I think that what's, what's most appealing about this song for me is, is just the beat. Like, I just think it's got a pretty catchy, uh, you know, beat. Um, mm-hmm. and it's something that's pretty danceable for me and, uh, not hard to get into. It's not the best sounding song ever. It's got a weird, and it's, this also has a weird production, like keyboard kind of thing. S- almost kind of similar to the Jane Child thing and the it's not the exact same tone but it's got this like extra you know uh level to it that's kind of um it's really hard for me to describe what the sound is but it's 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 not a crisp sound it's 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 just um it's kind of fuzzed it's kind of like a fuzzed kind of sound it, it, like and it's very synthetic as well mm. but it's not throughout the entire song so it doesn't throw me off too much but um i i see what you're saying josh i see why you dislike it i was kind of on the fence with this in terms of putting it in the buzz bin i could see myself doing so but i'm not married to it so that i don't you know it doesn't surprise me that it's not going in you know yeah <laughs> at least one of you guys not liking it but i i think josh is being a little bit harsh on it um <laughs> i don't have the disdain for those types of things either i'm fine when you want to bring 60s elements into more of a modern context I, I i don't have a problem with that in and of itself at least um yeah. i mean certainly there could be ways to do this that would be much that i would certainly be turned off by but for whatever reason like sugar ray was not my favorite thing so if they're doing it probably not as much but yeah so i'm not as down on this as josh's and uh i could i i'm I'm slightly thumbs up on it so Mm -hmm. uh that's my take yeah well full disclosure guys i um i was like you're in the suit suit dragons i yes i did the suit dragons and i came on and i i started thinking to myself the first thing that i was going to hear was this matt i should have known that you were an angel and i like thought that's what it was and then i heard this I'm like oh th- this song I totally forgot I'm like wait a second yeah did I get that wrong and no that is a soup dragon song that song that oh, I thought okay. was coming on it's called Divine Thing 
Uh, I don't love that song, but I like it better than this one because <laughs> I kind of am like you, Josh. I am not a big fan of what I consider the inorganic reggae yeah. voice. Um, I'm not a big fan of a lot of 90s psychedelia. Um, I feel like it could have been left in the 60s and early 70s where it maybe fit better in the scene. Um, I really am not a big fan of outside of the 60s and 70s psychedelia a lot. (laughs) <laughs> really when it yeah. resurf i feel like it's of its time and i have nothing against it but i don't know if it needs to come back and so this song kind of mixed and lyrically it's sort of like i'm free to to have a drink i'm free to and i'm like really that this is your liberation statement is just you know <laughs> I, I, it just doesn't speak to me you know what i mean so uh it just this song floats by it's inoffensive um so yeah. i'm not as hostile to it as you are yeah Josh, but as I listened to it, I said, okay. Uh, After I got past the fact that I thought I was going to be listening to what I've now learned is a song called Divine Thing instead of I'm Free, um, I quickly said, this is one of those 90s songs that I can remember hearing and I can usually remember either doing something else while it was on or flipping it to see what else was on another radio station. Um, And that's where it resides for me, like thoroughly Mm -hmm. in the middle uh, it doesn't make me curious. Like, to me, a buzz bin song. Like, if I hear Freedom 90, right, I am curious to hear the rest of that album. The Jane Child album, I don't know if it drives me to want to listen to her album, but I'd be like, oh, let me hear some other songs that she yeah. sings, at least what we're doing this week. The Billy Joel song would not drive me to want to listen to the rest of his album. I'd be like, well, that album's not going to be for me. And this song, there's nothing about this that makes me say, let me see what else the Soup Dragons have in their repertoire. It just kind of is like, all right. And to me, that is what the the thing is for a Buzzbin song when we're looking at singles. Yeah. So it That's does fair. not pass my test. So I have to keep this one out. John, you also hate freedom. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, this type of freedom. This I type hate. of freedom. It's just, you know, there's there's so many people fighting for real freedom that like when you make your artistic expression and it's like, you know, I'm free to have a beer. It's like, yeah, go for it, dude. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, that's there's people like not if you're 18. Like, there's people in the Gaza Strip right now that are just like, dude, yeah. really, like spare me from your freedom, you know. So, yeah, that's yeah. kind of where I stand on this one. I have so many other thoughts about this song. I think, but maybe mm-hmm. I can try and uh, incorporate them in the Primal Scream discussion because I kind of okay. I look um, forward yeah. to hearing your continued yeah. thoughts, and I'd buy your pamphlet, Josh. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> So a band, the final band we're going to start with today is a band that I have often heard about, and I know a song of theirs primarily from uh, the uh, the Clueless soundtrack would mm. be one oh. area where I know it, and then I know another one of their songs that was one of my favorite singles of the '90s, and we're going to cover an album of theirs where that uh, that uh, okay. song is on it. Yep. So mm. we'll be revisiting this band then. But the lightning seeds and the song is pure. Um, I'll jump in with the second take, but Matt, I'll give you the first one. What'd you think? Well, I didn't know these guys at all. I don't. I heard this. I've. i I think my sister had the Clueless soundtrack, so I, I'm familiar with some of the songs on it. So yeah. I'm not sure what song they have on there. Best soundtrack um, of the '90s for my money. Mm. The soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good. That's a good topic. But uh, so I didn't know anything about this. The the guys or the song, and um, and maybe it's just the guy. I don't know because there's only one guy in the video. But mm-hmm. I love this. This was a great pop song. This was just kind of you know kind of kind of came out of left field for me. Um, just a very 
uh, well-structured song. It's got a good beat to it. It's got it's got a good a really catchy chorus. Um, it's got like a little extra. I don't know if it's it's probably a synth or the, it also could be like a like a little horn or something like that that's yeah, kind of doing this extra effect in the mm-hmm. background. But um, it's just it's it's just a really great pop song. It's very catchy. It's not like the greatest thing ever. It's not like this incredibly you know infectious dance song like Freedom ninety. But in terms of just a straight ahead three minute pop song, it's it's hitting a lot of the notes. Um, you know, with the verses and the chorus, I think they're both uh, just as good. Um, I would certainly put this in my buzzbin. I would, John, by your criteria, I would like to hear more from the Lightning Seeds, and I'm glad we're going to cover them more. So, in well, my buzzbin for sure. I have a feeling, Matthew, you're going to like them. As oh we get boy, into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I didn't know them either. First, I thought it was Jack Antonoff in the video when I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was probably like he was probably like six when <laughs> yeah. this came out. But uh, but um, yeah, they're they're kind of like quintessentially english pop band in my opinion uh the sound of this it is an extremely catchy song i think the lyrics are uh kind of poetic but not like over overwrought or like super saccharine or anything I i feel like it's heartfelt it's got a nice melody to it it seems kind of romantic as well and it has this just um yeah it's like Matt said, it's just a really well-crafted pop song, and it was a uh, enjoyable to listen to. It, you know, it's kind of got a basic, it's got a simplistic nature to it with the guitar and that being kind of the only primary instrument, other than this this horn punctuation or whatever is happening. I throw the bass in there too. The bass is pretty prominent. Okay. Like that bass line yep. is is pretty with with the with the drums. It's got a good uh, rhythm section going on too. Got it. Yeah. So yeah, it's. That being said, it's like, you know, three-piece then, uh, pop song, and it, it really worked on me. So um, at first I was a little lukewarm, but it kind of like won me over, and the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. So thumbs up. Yeah, the song from the Clueless soundtrack that I'd recommend, guys, is a song called Change, um, and on a just banger-filled uh, soundtrack, it is one of the songs that I always felt stood out, even on a great soundtrack. So well worth listening to, but yeah. I, I've always liked this song. Um, I I was familiar with this song. Um, that's why I put it on. I had a feeling you guys would like it, which is part of the reason I put it on. I'm like, oh, I'll throw a gem on here that I'm pretty sure is going to lead into both Matt and uh, Josh's lane. Mm-hmm. This would be what I call the best kind of earnest, like yeah. the real earnest, not trying to manufacture feeling or being overwrought. Like I, I think the lyrics to this song are really sincere and romantic in their own way it's you know um stuff like shiver at the sight of you i'll sing a softer tune pure and simple over you is it's really it sounds great even as you say it like it just it has great structure it's almost like poetry you know the words sound together the word choice you could definitely tell um they put thought into it right and it doesn't it doesn't ever seem like they're searching for a word just to make the rhymes work either uh, the rhyme schemes work, which is something that a lot of bands fall in the um, in the trap of. Uh, and I just love how it's at. I, I agree with you, Matt. The the bass on this, I really like. Mm-hmm. It's I got a little bit of uh, Cure off yep. of this yep. a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like later career Cure. Um, and same and it's the same reason I love the Cure. They write these these bass heavy, wistful guitar songs that are always very pretty. 
um, that sometimes incorporate a synth line in them as well. And that's what this kind of reminds me of a little bit, like a really good late Cure song, along with British, you know, the British elements, a little bit of pop, you know, the the pop punk or not pop punk, uh, power pop legacy mm-hmm. that we've talked about as well. There's a little bit of Brit pop in this as well. Um, you can hear a little bit of what is coming our way with bands like Pulp and Blur as we get to them as well. So I know we haven't covered them yet, and I know both you guys have said you're not super familiar with both of those bands, but yep. I think you'll see some some touchstones in this as well. So yeah, this this one definitely is going in my buzz bin. I would say if we hadn't had such a powerhouse song like Freedom 90 this week, I think this would be my single of the week. Mm, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and I, I didn't know this band either, so that was a nice, pleasant surprise. Did it pass my test of you said it did for you? Matt, that you would like to hear more of their songs. Yes. And I would say listen to, to Change next and see if you like that. Um, yeah. And if you do, delve in. So, Josh, does it pass it for you? Yes, for sure. Okay. So there we go. Maybe the, a lead this week when you're when you're making the rest of your pie, Josh. Mm, yeah, Check exactly. So. Okay. It's album time, folks. So we have two new additions to the Buzzbin. The Buzzbin is growing more and more robust. Um, I have a full playlist of every song we're covering on the Buzzbin uh, this year, and then we'll eventually make a playlist of just the songs that we put in the Buzzbin. So hmm, just a heads okay. up there. But I think I'm turning it over to Matt, correct? Does he have the nope, first take? Nope. Oh, it's Josh. I, so I apologize. All yours. No problem. We've got Ghetto Boys. We can't be stopped in the opening montage. You heard Mind Playing Tricks on Me, and now you're going to hear Ain't With Being Broke song i related to um <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot of songs I think you might have related to on this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll see. Uh, Matt, where are we on the stats on this one? So Ghetto Ghetto Boys, We Can't Be Stopped, comes in at number 825 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums, number 68 in 1991, number 4,714 of all time. It is Ghetto Boys' highest-rated album on Best Ever Albums. Uh, Did not make Rolling Stones' list, and Ghetto Boys are ranked number 2,270 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. All right. Well, the Ghetto Boys formed in Houston, Texas in 1986. There was actually two different lineups of members before this um, lineup cohered and and came out on this album. And they broke up. Those lineups broke up after just due to lack of success and other other, um, interests. Um, Bushwick Bill, who was in the second lineup along... uh, kind of kept the band, you know, kept the name and, and the group and along with Willie D and Scarface make up this classic lineup of the Ghetto Boys. Uh, this is our first time covering them. Uh, they are no longer an active group after the death of Bushwick Bill in June of 2019 at age 52 of pancreatic cancer. They have seven total albums, the last one being in 2005, and this is their fourth album. They are classified as rap or gangster rap, southern rap, um, and you know this is the first time we've talked about uh, Houston rap and uh, and Southern rap as well we've been on both coasts up till now and this is kind of the first and one of the most well known 
of those uh, southern rap groups. Uh, they are influenced by other rap groups that came before them, primarily Run DMC, um, Big Daddy Kane, Schoolie D, Ice T, NWA. They're similar to Two Live Crew, Ice Cube, Too Short, Easy E. Uh, basically, everybody solo in NWA. <laughs> they were followed by uh, a million people: Bone Thugs, UGK, DMX, and Sound Insane Clown Posse, Tupac, Little Wayne. T.I., Eminem, Rick Ross, basically all of uh, rap from Houston is probably influenced by them to some... Surprised they didn't say Mob Deep. That's another group that yeah. comes to mind with these guys. Yeah. Yep. Mind Playing Tricks on Me was uh, reached 23 on the Billboard Hot 100, and their 1996 album, The Resurrection, reached number six on the Billboard um, 200. Some fun facts about this. Um, the original beat maker and member of the group, Reddy Red, left during the recording of this album. So he actually kind of has some uncredited uh, roles on this album. And he was a member of the uh, first and second iteration. The uh, on, each, on this album, each member of the group has three solo tracks um, and three tracks have all three members. So it's kind of split evenly on purpose. The Earliest iterations of the Ghetto Boys originally spelled it as G-H-E-T-T-O. Um, and Bushwick Bill says their earliest stuff, their earliest albums were a lot like Run DMC since that's who they were trying to compete with at the time. The album cover you may be wondering about is a graphic picture of Bushwick Bill in the hospital after he was shot in the eye. Um, during an altercation with his girlfriend, he actually shot himself in the eye. Um, in a struggle over the gun, uh, Bush. Yeah, and then uh, how did they these guys get that fly on demand? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean? like it's Scarface and uh, I. I the other gentleman in the group. I always yeah Willie D. Yeah Willie D. There you go. They're like they're rocking hats. They're you know they're iced up and stuff. It's just it's very funny how poor Bushwick Bills in a in a state and they're yeah. just you know ride and fly. Yep. Next to him. They had the idea to make this their cover, so they all kind of rushed to the the hospital and took out the IV and <laughs> Bushwick Bill's oh, equipment and took made him take off his uh, eye protect eye patch, I think that was on, and um and got this because they wanted to like basically emphasize how real they were as as a you know from from the area and, and as a rappers um bushwick will later regrets using this as the album cover and it wasn't <laughs> really it wasn't really about that <laughs> was he under the influence of painkillers and yeah, other probably. stuff i guess yeah i'm yeah. sure yeah um i think he says scarface too was also not really um into it but but that's what it is so it, it definitely leaves an impression uh bushwick bill you know was born with dwarfism and is classified as being a height of was classified as, as a height of three foot eight i think that's the only that's kind of the other not the it's a an important or significant um difference between other rap groups and him his bushwick bill and his dwarf dwarfism um memorable, i mean there aren't I guess any would, other groups mean. yeah <laughs> there aren't any other groups with a member with dwarfism so yeah. yes that stands out yep and uh, the Ghetto Boys' popularity was boosted in 1999 after two songs were used in the Office Space movie soundtrack, Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster, and Still. So you may remember mm -hmm. them from that. Mm -hmm. So, Ghetto Boys, uh, we're in Houston now. Matt, what did you think about this album? 
Yeah, I didn't know any of this. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was actually hoping that they, maybe one of those songs from Office Space were going to be on here because I do like both of those songs. Um, and yeah, this is... I am very mixed on this. Um, there's, there's, yeah. uh, I think generally there's a couple of songs in here that I think are very good. I think, I think easily the best song in here is mind playing tricks on me. I think mm-hmm. I, I listened to this album twice and, you know, going through the first five tracks, um, right before mind playing tricks on me was not very, uh, you know, I, I wasn't feeling it that much. I think it's, I think definitely Willie, is it Willie D that does the screaming? Like he's just yelling, like his his rap style. Like one of the guys does the rap style is just yelling, right? We can't be stopped and homie don't play that. It's just yeah. like this like, yeah, it's like yelling, rapping, yelling. And it's just like I was like, Oh man, I hope they mix it up because I can't take the whole album of this guy just shouting at me. Um and thankfully that they did. Um so I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of that necessarily. Um I, and I didn't think that like homie don't play that. It's just a very dated. It's like that in living color, Damon Wayne's mm-hmm. homie, the clown kind of reference, you know, Chucky, you know, from child's play. So it's interesting kind of referencing these things that I haven't thought about in years. Um, but like mind playing tricks on me um, and fuck a war in particular, I thought was a good yeah. song too. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it, there's, there's some socially conscious stuff happening on here, which is and very poignant trophy made me laugh as well. Like, you know, the <laughs> yeah. whole thing about the Grammys and I liked it particularly like the end of that where they were like, and <laughs> the Grammy for most, <laughs> most fuck words in a song goes together. <laughs> and it's, it's the last song on here, which if you listen I, to this album, there are certainly plenty of fuck words in this song, in yeah. this album. I, I, Absolutely love like their selection of artists for yeah. who were at the yeah. Grammys as well. It's so random and so arbitrary. Travis it's- Tritt and Elvis <laughs> and yes. I think Guns, they reference like Guns. Well, that, that's yeah. a different Guns song. Is Guns and Roses? Was it like um, the Who or somebody like they referenced to or something like that? I'm trying to remember. The Grateful Dead are in here. Grateful yeah. Dead. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like some of those topics are kind of like yeah it's like you know it's 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 poignant or mind playing tricks on me is kind of just like losing your mind and struggling through life and I thought a lot of the lines on there were really good but guys I str- like these overtly sexual misogynistic songs yeah. and it's not like I I don't think I'm a prude necessarily but man some of the stuff is hard to listen to I mean like something like the other level which is just like a, it's like a, a two live crew song essentially yeah. is yeah. like is uh is one of the guys I think I saw that it was uh, Bushwick Bill yeah. in a hot tub with two women getting you know getting you know getting two women to agree to a threesome and then he goes into graphic description of all the yes. stuff that they're doing <laughs> right. and it's just like I can't like, I can't listen to this stuff. Like, you know, and it's so, I, so some of the lyrics are very like, yeah, it's, it's very off putting. I'm not a gentleman's just like a really, that's another hard song to get through because it's basically like women don't deserve like, you know, women first <laughs> right. and all this stuff is BS. And like women, you know, the only, th- I'm not bending over to pick that up for you. You should do it yourself so I can check out your ass, you know, that type yeah. of stuff. It's just, so it, it doesn't, it doesn't age well in that regard. Um, and I also think that I think that some of the raps are kind of not very good. I don't think there's great flow on this album. I think that some of these they, they reminded me of some of the old rapping styles of like the original like Run DMC or, you know, more of a simplistic kind of thing. And it also seems like some of their they're like trying to squeeze in phrases and words that sometimes don't even rhyme together. So I, I think the flow doesn't really 
do much they're, for they're me. They're not really call and response in the same way that Run DMC are. Right. It's not. It's not a call and response thing, but it's more yeah. of like a uh, you know because we've seen rap like we we did Tribe right. We just did right. Tribe. We just did Gangstar. We've you know even someone like Ice T or Ice Cube. You know there's there's certain flows and like ways that, and phrases that they use that are like either clever or interesting. And I didn't find a whole lot of that on here. Mm -hmm. Some of the beats are okay, but there's just there's not a lot of staying power here for me. And uh, and it's just a hard. It's a hard album to get through. Like I could only listen to it in my car because, yeah. like, I'm not listening to it at work. I'm not listening to it at home. So uh, it's a it's like a private listening session. So I couldn't see myself ever going back to this. But a couple of standout tracks, like particularly "Mind Playing Tricks on Me," "Fuck a War," and, and "Trophy." Maybe there's some parts here that made me laugh. Um, but yeah, I can't I I can't recommend this. So I'm gonna go thumbs down for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm higher on this one than you are, Matt, for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I liked it as an intro to Southern rap, um, yeah. and obviously there's different types of Southern rap, and so this is the Houston rap, and obviously Scarface himself would have a solo career that was pretty well regarded. And I think it's... I would say there's a clear hierarchy of MC ability in Ghetto Boys, with Scarface being the clear one, and yeah. Bushwick Bill being the clear three. And so it depends on kind of how you feel about the sort of the ice cube uh derivative uh mm, yes style you know what I, i'd say he sounds you know, like ice middle. cube at times yeah too. that's what i say in the middle <laughs> yeah. a clear you know attempts to do that but yeah i, I yeah. think the standout in in this group is definitely uh scarface for sure uh it is it's just such a different sound i, I it's definitely not the, even though they were influenced by the east coast i don't think there's a lot of east coast um yeah like in this there's a little bit of west coast in the sense that you know the g funk that the west coast folks were sampling and a little bit of what the ghetto boys are sampling here sometimes trod in the same ground and certainly stylistically i think bushwick bill tries to do the easy e lane a little bit mm -hmm. um and like we said before the ice cube lane is definitely trod here so i think that might be nwa is probably the closest comparative point i think for anybody that may be looking for something that we've covered so far, yeah. But it's it's it, it, but it's not really similar um, as well. It's definitely its own thing. Um, I agree with you, Matt, in that um, the first like four or five songs, I'm like, Ugh, this is starting kind of slow. And I am familiar with more Ghetto Boys songs, but you know, obviously the two from Office Space, most people know because of that. I I knew one of them before Office Space, my, um, but uh, but certainly it's hard to. To not know those once office mm -hmm. space is there and and i obviously mind uh my mind's playing tricks on me is a certified you know big hip-hop banger mm -hmm. as well i knew some other ones too like sex faces and let a hoe be a hoe and stuff uh <laughs> a famous one called balls in my word right which is one that got played quite a bit so is that the I knew sequel those... to gotta let your nuts hang <laughs> yeah and i i was like oh most of the songs i know from the ghetto boys are not on this one so this is going to be an interesting listen because outside of mine playing tricks i'll be there i definitely loved like from track from where uh my mind playing tricks on me came in for the next like five so songs basically from yeah. mind playing tricks on me all the way to quickie i found yeah. very entertaining uh i i thought there was a lot more wink and nod to i'm not a gentleman matt than nwa where i felt like there was like deep misogyny like i felt that song had a little bit more sense of humor where they realized they were being ridiculous in it and as you listen to the lyrics and the scenarios it became more and more ridiculous as the song went along 
Um, so yes, there was certainly more than a little bit of casual misogyny, but I didn't, I didn't read it as um, literal. You know mm -hmm. that song. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit more, and there were, as it goes on a little bit more, the scenarios that were presented made me laugh. And boy, if that song didn't get stuck in my head, like <laughs> I'm not a gentleman. Like, just like <laughs> the delivery worked really yeah. well. It just it's for those that may not have ever heard it before. Imagine Ice Cube telling me all the ways that you know he's not gonna, uh, you know, like be hemmed in by any standards of you know uh chivalry uh, chivalry yes would be the best way to put it gotta let your nuts hang besides being a fantastic title for a song is a song <laughs> i enjoyed as well it's basically about being a man you know what i mean at least in the sense of that and like you yeah. can't be like you can't be you know um how can i put this out <laughs> you know, in, in the old days you would have said can't be a bitch right you know you, can't, you gotta let your nuts hang and stuff and that's basically the, the thesis of that fuck a war was surprisingly good social commentary yep. uh, the, boy the the um the desert storm war was on the mind of the hip-hop community this I know, is the second really. straight this is the second straight very overt politically connected thing mm -hmm. you know we did iced tea last week where it's like we're gonna talk about like you know we, we aren't fighting this war. So I don't know if there was an element of consciousness at this time about the fact that the Vietnam War, all wars, but particularly the Vietnam War, there was, at least when I was growing up, there was an awareness that that was a war fought disproportionately by the blue collar and the poor, right? I read, I read too, yeah. that um, two of the members of the group had family members that were going over there. So I think that was also okay. kind of... And that makes sense. And that's that. a very underappreciated thing in that... Not to get on the soapbox and stuff, but as someone who has members of my family who fought in wars and, you know, especially on one side, the side that was first generation, right, and lost two people in World War Two, and I had uncles who fought in Vietnam. And yeah, it's, it's very easy to talk about going to war, especially when no one in your family has gone for generations. And so songs like that always click with me. Ain't with being broke. And, and now we're getting to the thing where all these songs are relatable in their own way to me, but in a different way than maybe they were, you know, to the ghetto boys where it's way more of a real thing. Whereas for me, it's like you're listening to the news kind of. And Ain't with, yeah. the bro Ain't with being broke is basically about like, I'm going to do what I can to not be poor. And then Quickie is sort of a sex tale out of the, the Slick Rick, you know, yep. side of things. Uh, Too Short would be another person that I think is a good reference point. We haven't covered him, but he's there. You know, he's doing more freaky tales and more freaky tales, too. And it's, you know, another, and we're going to get Snoop and people like that. That I mean, yep. Snoop starts his album with Bathtub, right? Like, so, which is, <laughs> if you think this one's over, we didn't hear that one. So, um yeah, and it's basically another one of these, you know, braggadocious, you know, tall tales, right, about having yeah. sex. I also love any phone conversation in which someone is that overt and they're just saying, like, you know, direct things like, yeah, man, I, I need to... I need to break you off and stuff like that. It's like, okay, can you pick me up? <laughs> like, who is bold enough to do this? So it always just cracks me up. But that stretch from uh, Mind Playing Tricks on Me at track six to Quickie at number 11 is really, I think, the gem of this album and pushes it up to the recommend category for me. And Trophy, yes, is extremely funny the whole time. It's about, the, you know, the Grammys at that time were famously inhospitable to rap. And they were trying to bring in a rap category, but they just, you know, they had no idea what to do with it. It's kind of like when they brought in metal famously, too. And they thought like Jethro Tull was metal, right? And it's the same thing started with rap. It was, you know, young MC and stuff. Not that there's anything against Bust a Move, but that was who they were processing as rap, right? So 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm higher on this one than you, Matt. I like the fact that it gives me a little bit of an entree into what we're going. The Ghetto Boys also get way darker, like way more like horror rap almost. And this is a road. pretty dark album. So and this like... is a dark album on top of it, but they get even more yeah. dark. And yeah. that's where I said they're kind of like mob deep where they're just there's a lot of like horror you yeah. know, imagery and grotesqueness that, that comes. And there's some of that here, but it gets worse uh, as it goes along. And even the, you know, the cover is perfect for that idea. So I would give this one, um, I'd give this one a thumbs up. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I uh, like this. Al- <laughs> I like this album as well, Matt. I totally understand where you're coming from. This album is just a lot and it's like in your face and it's all, uh there's a lot of misogyny sex and violence there's some like psychosis involved in this um and that was my favorite part yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's a very like visceral album and it it is very sure is that's a great real in a way um they are like making their stamp um i had no problem with their delivery i kind of really liked kind of the off-kilterness that they bring to it and i really just kind of was amused by like how angry they were and like how in your face and delivering the lyrics were just like how you said it Matt it's like we're gonna do this and I'm gonna be in your face and blah yeah. blah 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 and um and so that that really kind of was different than the other groups that we've heard before rap wise um and, and even different they're kind of different in an, than NWA as well NWA has kind of got a more I don't know laid back delivery i don't know if that's the right word but these guys were just like so like kind of front and center um when i was listening to it um i i thought the humor kind of really kind of carried me through the album and and i agree with you john i think there's some knowingness to it um but on well, the even other... like in ain't with being broke they're complaining yeah. that a woman's making all this money you know selling her ass on the corner and the next one they're like i gotta work harder because this woman's working a job all week killing herself and stuff and i'm like yeah. within two lines they basically completely shift the paradigm so yeah. yeah so i i am gonna disagree with you guys a little i think i really kind of enjoyed the first half of the album more and then then the oh, humor okay. the humor kind of carried me through the rest of it the i i agree with you matt the kind of sex songs are are just too much for me at this point in my life and i can't that's not what I'm listening to an album for um, and rap albums. I, I kind of appreciate more cleverness. And I am and, the um, more, most carnal member of the group, you are. I think. So, yes. <laughs> you, are, you, you always like this. John, John has a co-writing credit on the other level, I think. So, yeah. Yep. Bushwick Bill said that song played dividends for him the rest of his life. Uh, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> so, your mileage may vary. Good but, for him. Yeah. But, yeah. You guys didn't bring up Chucky, which I thought was an utterly demented song, and the lyrics are just insane, and there is a Child's Play sample in it, and I just really kind of appreciated how off the wall and unlike anything rap-wise that we've heard well, from the that. Well, the flow is just... It, it, bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's, it's almost like... Um, like the, he's making up the, it's like when somebody says okay let's have you freestyle right here and yeah. somebody's like trying to make it work but you're always afraid they're going to run out of freestyle verses but then they kind of keep hanging on for yeah. the next bar <laughs> but for like 4 minutes yeah no it's it's it's, it's impressive in its own way um there's also kind of a menace that permeates this album, especially on that song. And some necrophilia involved in that song as well. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there's some good, 
I think there's some good sampling as well, though that's not kind of the standout for me. So I hadn't ever heard the Ghetto Boys. I only kind of knew them by reputation, and I was never really into like Houston rap or anything, but I knew them historically, and I think they have had a lasting influence on the rap community. But the um, yeah, I'm going to give this a slight thumbs up. It's not an album that I'm just going to like throw on. I probably won't even listen to it again for a long time, if ever. But um, I appreciated kind of being in a different like universe of rap <laughs> that Did, they bring. Uh, can we talk also about like when I think of Houston rap, right? As much yeah. as I know about Houston, I was funny as I was looking for this, I see that they had a whole album of this that's the screwed variety of it yes, and of course that reminded it. me that yep. chopped and screwed is the the houston yes. classic that did do you want to tell the listeners maybe a little bit about what that is or yeah sure so it's like this thing in houston where it not only do they slow down the raps they kind of they kind of make them well yeah they slow them down and they they make it so mm-hmm. that it's I don't know, like molasses. It's hard to describe. Like, you know it when you hear it. And it also kind of goes along with the Houston culture of, like, ghost riding the whip and, like, all this, like, food and, like, I don't know, just kind of the whole, like, culture of rap down there with with the heat and the humidity kind of, like, slows things down. It's like a heavy – it's raw, but it's like a a methodical slowed down. Like how how hip-hop does sludge. Almost – yeah. I always felt like it's supposed to feel like the heat yeah. of the air. They, lo- That's they how lower the, it, yeah. the voices on yeah. the, the albums as well. So it's like kind of not only slowed down, but just kind of, I don't know. It's got this real like uh, heavy feel to it in a way. And they often will, I mean, there was a period in the 2000s where they would, that was kind of a thing. Um Oh, even the late the 90s, you'd hear yeah. about like Cash Money and stuff, and they'd yeah. always have their album, and then the chopped and screwed you yeah. know, version Paul, of it. Paul yeah. Wall and right. and Lil John's kind of in that as well a bit. Yeah. And um, but uh, although yeah, he's from Atlanta, isn't he? He is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. kind of its own like subgenre in a way, and and a, a thing that they uh, Houston is known for, I would say, in terms of rapping. For sure. So I thought I'd at least bring that up because I looked yeah, at it. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a whole there's a whole version of this album that's the screwed version. <laughs> yes. So I was like, how about that? So that'd be interesting. It's I listened to some of it. It's it's exactly what you think the versions yep. of the songs would sound like, Josh. So yeah. All Perfect. right, Matt. Nope, me again. <laughs> your, oh, you're done. Double duty. Josh has double duty. All right, we've got Primal Scream, Screamadelia, and in the opening, Screamadelica. Sorry, I was about to say Scream. there's a C in there. Oh, great. Scream Adelica. <laughs> doing it again. Um, and in the opening montage, you heard Moving On Up, and now you're going to hear Loaded. Okay, Matt, Screamadelica. 
Yeah. What are the stats on this one? So Screamadelica by Primal Scream comes in at number 62 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums, number 11 in 1991, number 322 of all time. It is Primal Scream's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. I did crack Rolling Stone's list at number 437, and Primal Scream is ranked number 237 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. Hmm. All right. Primal Scream is a Scottish rock band that formed in 1982. Bobby Gillespie is the lead vocals. Andrew Innes is on guitar. Martin Duffy's on keyboards, piano. Henry Olsen's on bass. And Philip Toby Tomanoff is on drums, percussion. The We haven't talked about this band before, but Bobby Gillespie was formerly the drummer on Jesus and Mary Chain. So that is kind of the connection to other uh, groups that we have talked about. Uh, this album came out September 23rd, 1991. They have 11 total albums, and this is their third. Um, it is a departure from their first two albums, which are more indie rock uh, focused, and they are considered alt rock, alt dance, neo psychedelia, Brit pop, house or acid house. They're influenced by the Rolling Stones, the Velvet Underground, Jesus Mary Chain, the Birds, uh, Parliament, and Funkadelic on this album. Similar artists are Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, The Verve, Fatboy Slim, Suede, Soup Dragons, Dandy Warhols. And moving on up, reached 28 on the Billboard's Modern Rock Airplay, number two on the Alternative Airplay, No Hot 100 um, hits there. They had no albums crack the Billboard 200. Uh, Screamadelica did peak at number eight on the UK album charts, though. Some fun facts. Gillespie cites Pet Sounds as being an influence on this album, as well as Nico's album, The Marble Index. Um, also, 70s reggae and dub they were listening to a lot when they were making this album. Acid House DJ Andrew Weatherthal was a producer on this album, and he had never produced before, but they were into the Acid House scene at the time, and so they wanted to bring him on. Um, later on in the group, Gary Manny Mountfield, fresh from the Stone Roses breakup, added, uh, came on board as the bassist and revitalized the group, according to them. And the group uh, submitted the title track to the Train Spotting soundtrack, which cemented their place in British and alt rock culture and album soundtrack album culture. I would say that's another influential um, '90s soundtrack. And this album was very well received by critics. Multiple um, high endorsements that I saw, not only at the time, but uh, retroactively as well. So Screamadelica, Primal Scream, not, a, not what I was expecting when I, uh, when I saw the name, not knowing them. So John, let's start with you this time. What did you think of Screamadelica? I don't know if there's going to be a harder review for me to do in all of our time <laughs> yeah. of... this was a confounding album to me and that there were things on this album I really liked. There were things on this album I didn't like at all. Oftentimes they were blended in the same songs. Oftentimes they were within 30 seconds of each other uh, because the songs kind of went on wild journeys, I'd say, along the way. At times the album washes over you. At times the album is way more confrontational. Uh, It, I don't even know if you could you mentioned a lot of stuff josh and i get it and and that's as i was listening i was trying to think like would i have pieced it together with different there's definitely like a 
a house acid element to it. There's definitely mm-hmm. a little bit of indie rock. There's definitely a little bit of what uh, some of the shoegaze bands were doing, but not a heavy lean into it. That I think that uh, you talked about the Stone Roses. I mm-hmm. saw some of what was in that album on this. So it was kind of a grab bag of stuff. It's all thrown together. It almost read to me kind of like an art project would be the way that I describe all the way down to what the cover looks like. It it seems like this was thrown together as sort of an experiment in sound. That's why I'm not surprised that um, they reference like pet sounds, right? Which kind of was that feel as well. Like put a lot of things together and mm-hmm. sonic landscape part experimental, but at times also tied into traditional pop sounds there's times where this album is is not ambient, but there's a lot of space along the way. Mm-hmm. I I think the the strongest part of this album is nine to eleven, the last three songs. I really enjoy I'm coming down all the way to shine like stars. In fact, I think my two favorite songs on this album are Higher Than the Sun and Shine Like Stars. Mm-hmm. Higher like Higher Than the Sun is called a dub symphony and definitely the dub influence is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a little bit of Velvet Underground and Shine Like Stars as well as Higher Than the Sun mixed in as well and dotted into different pieces. It's funny you mentioned them because I that was a group, if you'd said name two or three things that influenced this album, I'd say dub music, like acid house type music, and Velvet Underground type sounds. That would yep. be how I'd sort of merge all of this together. And as you'd expect, that mix of things is a chaotic mix. And as a result, I listened to this album twice and I didn't feel I was any closer to fully figuring it out. I think I'd, I think I'd have to listen to it a lot longer hmm. than this. As a result, it's hard for me to say thumbs up, thumbs down or in the or thumbs in the middle because it's interesting and I can see its appeal. It's not an album I'm going to rush to go listen to again voluntarily, but it's also not an album that turns me off at all. And if somebody said, let me put this on, I would embrace the challenge, like the challenge or the, the challenge is maybe the wrong word, but the idea of listening to it again. Uh, But it really, it's a very, very hard album for me to, to put a thumb on. Um, I'm interested to hear, like, I have more to say on this, but I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. I, Matt, what do you think of this one? Well, it's definitely all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, 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 and a band that you, we've kind of mentioned, but you haven't, you didn't really reference much in your take was the Rolling Stones, because yes, there's a couple yes. tracks on here that are very much, the, the opening yeah. track yes. moving on up is like a, is a Rolling yep. Stone song with the Bo Diddley beat, you know, it's yep. like yep. this, you know, um, with a, Good uh, point, Matt. Yep. with like a uh, gospel choir in the background, you know, and then it goes right into step inside this house goes right into this club song, which is like, whoa, okay, right? And they kind of continue that with don't fight it, feel it, right? So you're kind of on the dance floor now and then higher than the sun. It's almost like when we were talking about the KLF a couple weeks ago that there's songs in here that are more of the coming down part of of the rave kind of thing. And that's kind of what that is. It's like this kind of psychedelic, you know, kind of trippy vibe that's going on. Same thing with Inner Flight. It's a very like, and then Come Together and Loaded are like these long quasi-anthemic 
rock that's more of a rock based kind of song that just like repeats over and over again but it's like it's a pretty catchy infectious kind of call to arms like come together is like this this positive sounding you know kind of thing with the the vocals there's a female vocalist on top of it that just sounds really good um can i add a thought real quick matt because as you said that i wrote down that this album sort of feels like you're just taking a series of different drugs Mm-hmm. And the effect, like the song sort of, you know, it's like each of each couple songs, right? Sort of seems like it crescendos into what each of those would be. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the songs are almost kind of paired up together. Right. And then like damaged is, more, then it goes from come together and loaded to damage, which is kind of like the acoustic, like stones ballad kind of thing. And then, then, then the last couple of songs, which kind of goes into more of an experimental you know, it, it, there, there's not really the beats or anything like that. It's kind of like this, you know, playing around with the stuff in the studio and whatever. And it's just, and, and it's like the first time you listen to it, you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> it's just all over the place. Yeah. And the, it's you, John, I think you got to listen to this more than twice. Um, I, I probably listened to oh, it. Oh, for sure. I, I probably I, listened I, to this like five or six times. And I got yeah. no closer to solving it after two times. Like, yeah. it's like, um, I realized I need a lot more. I personally, I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I liked, I, there's great variety on here and somehow it kind of does flow together. Like once you kind of get over the initial shock of just like, where is this taking me? Because the whole first, first couple times you listen to, you're just confused. You know, you're trying to yeah. figure out what the, what the, what the pattern is. But as you, as I listened to it more throughout the week, the more I was every song, like I was connecting more with it than I had the time before. And it's not to say that some of these songs are like initially like harsh or hard to listen to, you know, at the beginning, cause they're not, it's, you know, at the, at, at, at its core, a lot of these songs are actually quite catchy and, 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 you know, um, and, and easy to hear it, but it's just because of the, the nature of like how everything flows and how different it is. It's that, that's what, you know, it, it, it kind of, mm. it's a little off-putting in that regard, but I, I love the variety in here. I love the way that it flowed. Um, I thought it was fascinating. I've never heard of these guys before. Right. So that's another thing. And it's, and it's interesting, Josh, that you, a lot of the artists that you name drop that are kind of like similar yeah. are either bands that like, I was like, yes, that's, that's certainly there or bands that I really like, you know, that I've gravitated mm. towards. So, um, so I was like, yeah, it makes sense. So I, I, this was a really nice find for me and I'm a pretty strong thumbs up on this record. It's, mm. I think it's pretty great. I, I'm not as high on this album as you guys. I, I may have to give it another listen. I interpret this as kind of like a sixties dance record like their version of DJing a 60s dance record now there are a lot of samples on this album and this isn't something I knew right away listening to it I had to, I looked it up but a lot of bands that we have talked about in our 60s uh, season are are on this album and that I well, did not I, pick up can on I that. guess can I yeah, guess some sure. that might be a, like I got some United States of the America from this i got scott walker from this yeah. <laughs> wait time, time out i just saw this on wikipedia do you know who yeah. wrote step inside this house josh yeah. were you gonna drop this yeah go, go ahead. ahead then go ahead yeah slip inside this house is a cover by the 13th floor elevator <laughs> yes okay. that doesn't surprise this. me yeah so Rookie then, erickson i saw that name i'm like that's familiar yeah, yeah. so yep. can is also sampled on this album and moving on up uh we've talked about hot 
Holland Dozier Holland before. That's um, there on here. Uh, Gree Gree Gumbo Yaya, yeah, Dr. John album that uh, mm-hmm. yeah. a song on a Dr. Yeah. John album that we talked about. That's on there. Brian Eno That's makes an appearance too. also. Um, <laughs> wow, okay. And uh, and some, uh, oh, What I Am by Edie Brickell, which is a, a single I think we talked about. Really? Um, that's in loaded. That's why this is such a so, confounding album. Wow. It's like all these found sounds all and, over the and place. And none of that stuff <laughs> I picked up on listening to it. No, um, I didn't either. And I think it's buried a lot. And I got, I really got hung up on, on like how kind of drug, I, I feel like yeah. I needed to be on drugs to listen to this album. I really got hung up on the fact that it was just seemed like dance music that, or, or more like DJ house music than an actual album. Um, sort of like that, that um sample we listened to um by beltram the energy flash i felt like it was more like that obviously not not the same like tempo oh i like this way more than yeah that's yeah i I see what you're saying but there's way more substance here for me and this is kind of this is i i agree but i felt that i was looking for more when i was listening to it i thought there was going to be kind of more lyrics or more kind of structure to the songs and it really just for me devolved into like samples and like dance music and mm-hmm. I, I couldn't as a result i couldn't really like get a get enjoyment out of it or get a hold of it i definitely got rolling stones right off the bat that was one of the first things yeah. i noted and Fatboy slim as well was one of the first things i wrote down it, it just um, really screamed scream that to me um this album's practically an instrumental album in some ways and i think that was the other thing i kind of got hung up on i was expecting something maybe unfairly um also elements of george michael i feel like in 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 the gospel Mm -hmm. that kind of blue-eyed soul type of thing to it but yeah it the songs they really kind of build on each other they're long songs i think you have to be in the right headspace and i just really wasn't into that wasn't into it um and also i kept comparing and contrasting it to to massive attack and kind of the trip-hop stuff that i was really into and and that wasn't this and it kind well, of well these guys weren't coming from hip-hop yeah. there's no hip-hop based on exactly this. This is, i think yeah. that's the thing and i think in some ways they kind of took the psychedelic elements of 60s pop that i didn't like um and incorporated them versus like the stone roses which took all the things i did like and incorporated them so that was kind of where i was weighing things and so as a result i was kind of like mixed to negative on this album and i didn't listen to it as much as matt did so maybe i'll appreciate it more but this is kind of the dance stuff house stuff that i am anticipating we're going to hear more of that i didn't really respond to so Mm. um so we'll see yeah the more the more we talk about this album the more i realize that it's a thumbs up for me Mm. i think just because as i as i dig back in songs and stuff i just keep thinking about how interesting bits of the songs were and and unlike you josh i think that you were focusing on the stuff you might not have liked as much and how it was less than i think i was more interested in the stuff that appealed to me than the stuff that i was like oh i can't quite get this i do think you need to listen to this album more than once absolutely and i think you need to listen to it on headphones too yeah like if you didn't the first time around i don't know if you listened to it on headphones or not but that is also okay okay Mm. good so you did get that so i yeah i just i love the variety on it and uh, like you, Matt, I think I, I, I it, it rewarded multiple listens for sure. And I, I will listen to this again. I also want to listen to this with some of my friends who might not be familiar as well, who I know are ambitious music listeners too, and get their take. Because 
I do think it's a good conversation piece album. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a fascinating record and it's just, it, 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 with each listen, there's something different happening. There was something different happening within me, you know, just like my reaction or whatever. But yeah, certainly one listen like cold is just like, what is, it's just, yeah. you're really trying to find your footing, I think. Um, well, and impossible then it off for of that. Impossible to talk about on our format too, because we'd have to go song by song. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to say, okay, you get five minutes for a take because it, to me, each song would be a take. Because I'd be like, let's talk about what's going on in Inner Flight, for example. Like, let's talk about that dub symphony, all 738 of it. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, let's unpack these one by one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I'm going to be joining you, Matt, in the thumbs up category. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Metallica. So, yeah, Metallica, the Black Album. Um, and so uh, in the opening montage, you heard a clip from Enter Sandman. And now you're going to hear a clip from Unforgiven. Okay, so Metallica's Black Album comes in at number 47 in the 1990s on Best Ever Albums, number 9 in 1991, number 236 of all time. It's Metallica's third highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, which are two albums that we covered already. Um, The Black Album is ranked number 235 uh, in Rolling Stones list, and Metallica in Best Ever Albums is ranked at number 41 of overall artist rankings. So, um, so yeah, this album was released on August 12th, 1991. It's their fifth album out of a total of 11. I guess they just had a recent one out in t- this year. Uh, 2023's 72 Seasons marks their 11th album. And we have covered Metallica's other albums basically up until this point, all <laughs> right. of them in season three. That include Kill 'Em All, which was Cold Listen episode number eight, Ride the Lightning, Cold Listen episode nine. Master of Puppets was the um, the proper episode, season three, episode 20. And then we also covered Injustice for All on cold episode number 16. Um, and we also covered, I have to mention this, uh, honorable mention to a founding member, Dave Mustaine, uh, who was kicked out of the band uh, in 1983, formed Megadeth. We covered Megadeth's Rust in Peace this season uh, on episode five. So we did. we've done a lot of this type of iteration either metallica or an iteration of uh, a break off from them uh so the band was formed in 1981 we've done we did a lot of bio on them already i think but just real yeah. quick they were formed in 81 in los angeles by uh guitarist vocalist james hetfield and drummer lars ulrich it also included guitarist dave mustaine and original bassist ron mcgovney who was quickly replaced by cliff burton um, and Mustaine, like I said, was fired in 83, replaced by Kirk Hammett. And Burton was uh, unfortunately uh, killed in 1986 during the, uh, the, what the band's bus flipped over several yeah. times. And he was, he was killed in that accident. And then he was replaced by Jason Newstead. So um, he, and he is on this, uh, playing on the Metallica record that we're covering tonight. So genres are, of course, heavy metal, thrash metal, speed metal, and hard rock. Artists that influenced Metallica include Black Sabbath, The Misfits, Deep Purple, Judas Priest, Aerosmith, 
Leonard Skinner, The Stooges, The Ramones, Motorhead, Iron Maiden, ACDC, Led Zeppelin, and Queen. Uh, contemporaries of theirs include Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer, which is the big four of sla- of, uh, of thrash metal, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, thrown in there is also Queensryche, Danzig, Pantera, Ozzy Osbourne, and Faith No More. And bands that they have influenced have been many, um, notably ones such as Deftones, Dream Theater, uh, Kill Switch Engage, White Zombie, Evanescence, Helmet, Mastodon, Biohazard, Disturbed, Lamb of God, Typo Negative, Corn, P.O.D., and Guar. I think maybe of all those bands I've heard three songs by. <laughs> so I, I want to hear some of those bands. What's that? <laughs> I you hate, hate some of those yeah. bands. Um, well, you know, this because you're influencing them by, yeah. by a great band doesn't mean that your band's going to be great. But um, their highest charting single, single I was uh, surprised to see this, but then also not surprised after I thought about it, was 1996 Until I Sleep, Until It Sleeps, excuse me. Uh, that reached number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100. Mm. Um, and their highest charting album is a six-way tie because they have six albums that hit number one, including the Black Album, Load, Reload, Hardwired to Self-Destruct, Death, Death Magnetic, and Saint Anger, which is basically all the albums since the Black Album all wow. hit number one. Um, but the Black Album and Load both spent the most time at number one, which uh, was four weeks. Um this is a big selling album, fellas. This is right up there with some of the the best ones of all time. I saw on Wikipedia it's ranked number 18 of all time best selling albums, just ahead of Celine Dion's Let's Talk About Love and just behind the Beatles' One. And um, in December of 2019, Metallica became the fourth release in American history to enter the 550 week milestone on the billboard 200 so it's it's basically just behind pink floyd's dark side of the moon for for uh, having spent the most time on the billboard charts so um sold massive amount of copies um and a couple of facts about this record it was produced by uh bob rock who then the reason he they 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 wanted him on this record was because they liked his work on motley Crue's dr feelgood and so they brought him along here and uh and and it was kind of a contentious recording session uh they actually um there's a documentary you can see on youtube which i did watch it's a two-parter it's called a year and a half in the life of and it's basically the first half is them recording this album in the studio and the second half is them going on taking this album on tour and uh it's i highly recommend it i thought it was a really good uh really good insight into how a record is created and hearing the discussions that the band has and that the arguments that they have with the producer and then what it's like to be out on tour and how they discuss you know different things that that they are going to do within their show and just the fan reaction and all that stuff. It was a really uh, interesting um, watch for me. Um, but Rock's, uh, you know, first time producing Metallica, and he, I guess in the past, the band would record all individually, but he wanted them to all, you know, record together as a band. Um, so that was kind of a unique thing for them. Um, the, uh, the, this, the During the production of this record, it was also difficult for some of the band members, uh, really all except uh, James Hetfield were going through a divorce with their wives. So there was that all happening at the same time. And, um, and, and they, there was a calculated effort. So there's a lot of Metallica fans, you know, hardcore Metallica fans start to lose interest in the band here because this is definitely a change in their um, sound. The band, uh, they calculated, it was a very calculated move to um, to kind of go to, towards more simpler songs. Um, they wanted, they were kind of getting tired of 
doing longer drawn out songs with different movements, kind of a more of a proggy sound, and they wanted something more straight straightforward and straight ahead. So, um, so some people feel like that Metallica sold out doing this record, but and reading the interviews from them and at the time they were they were just like they wanted to do something different they this was you know they wanted to prove that they could do music in a different way um and you know they wanted to be you know they were kind of starting to feel inadequate as songwriters and they wanted to you know take it in a different direction so um so this is what they decided to do um uh i didn't know this initially but i, I can't believe i did because normally i would pick up on stuff like this but the instrumental introduction um, to the song "Don't Tread on Me," did you guys pick up on that guitar part? It's basically the intro or the um, the chorus for for the song "America" from the play West Side Story. I never I, like it's yeah. a very easily heard <laughs> thing, and I never put two and two together on that. So I thought that that was interesting. Um, uh, Yankees closer Mariano Rivera would use "Enter Sandman" as his entrance theme, which is a freaking badass song to come out to uh, in a baseball game. So I, I would, I'm, I'm not a Yankees fan, but I definitely endorse that decision. Um, and then the song "Sad but True" is maybe it's 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 a very that's the other thing too. This album is 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 seen as being heavier in terms of the tone than their previous records, uh, particularly the song Sad But True. Um, they initially tuned that to E, which is the lowest string on the guitar. But basically, Bob, uh, uh, Bob Rock was you know, telling the guys, look, everything that you're doing right now is an E. This song would sound better if it was lower. And the band was like, you can't go lower than E. And he goes, no, when we did Dr. Feelgood, we tuned down to D. So he took the, they, they tuned their guitars down one step further than what they normally do. And that's why you're getting the, the heavier um, sound with Sad But True. So so um and and actually i listened to dr feelgood last week as well just because just to see what that's like and you can kind of see some similarities in terms of the production choices that was being done that were being done there so so yeah this is a massive record um this is the one that really catapulted metallica into the mainstream and yeah. made them a you know a, a worldwide huge act and um i let's hear from josh first we haven't gotten to your take yet what are your thoughts on metallica's uh metallica yeah, so this was my intro to them, I think, when when they were on MTV and the Enter Sandman video. I, re I remember that, like, that video kind of transcending, you know, pop culture in a way and, and knowing about it and kind of being disturbed by it and <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, the It's interesting going through, you know, them chronologically, essentially hearing all their albums before this because this does mm -hmm. sound different than, than what what we've listened to thus far i i mean there's a lot of very well-known songs on this album in some ways i think this is probably their i mean you you said it they sold a, a million albums but this is probably their most well-known songs many as well. many million albums yeah yeah <laughs> like 30 something you know yeah. enter sandman unforgiven wherever i may roam like all, all those songs are kind of like they've transcended metal in some way you know and yeah. as well um in some ways, this is, you know, a continuation of what what they're good at and what they're known for. The, I feel like the drums hit really hard on this album. Their guitars are really heavy. It's funny you said that about Sad But True because that's my note is, wow, this guitar is really heavy. <laughs> that's yep. exactly what I wrote. Um, and um, it's, still, it's still fast. It is kind of more restrained. I feel like the tone overall is darker. And they're not going through those movements that they did on some of their earlier songs. It is, in some ways, like a, 
I don't know. It is like a slower, heavier album. That I feel like the speed metal is what kind of what is missing in a lot of this um, album, and that's kind of I, I think an important part of Metallica or what I really liked about those early albums, especially Master Puppets and and Ride the Lightning. Um, I I really like when they. T- did that and when they had those multiple movements so that that kind of missing here feels like a little bit of a step down from me this album is still very enjoyable and it felt familiar in a way even though i haven't really listened to it a a whole lot but and there's still some sweet guitar solos like on my friend of misery is the second to last track and they always kind of this is still like an extremely well done album and i still feel like they they're songwriting chops are here and and um and uh, the heaviness of the guitar i still really enjoy all of that but um i miss kind of the speed element that that is not as present on this so thumbs up for sure but it's not and i'm not like super metallica fan i don't have like the backlash that maybe some fans felt with this album and i i know nothing of their later stuff um after this so um and i did (laughs) I they actually add, co- go ahead, go, John. I'm sorry. I was gonna say I did add your um, documentary to the Coming the Stacks list on Letterboxd. Yeah, so yeah. Can... They actually kind of went with like the like that song that I talked about that was the um that was their their highest charting song. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of go in a little bit of a grunge, you know, kind of direction a little bit. So they even deviate more away from like the thrash and and metal, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So uh, so yeah, it's, they they continue to change a little bit. Yeah. And the other thing I guess of note is like what John said at the beginning of the show where they played with the orchestra, the symphony orchestra. That was kind of the other thing I always remember. S&M. Yeah. And and uh, them playing some of these songs with all the strings and stuff Mm -hmm. behind them. And so that is just kind of a different direction than you think of traditional metal going in. And I appreciate that, but it's it's just not the same as the. The, the earlier album so thumbs up for me um, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this I think you have more of a relationship probably than I do well this is this has always been an interesting album to me because in some ways it really articulates how great Metallica is mm-hmm. and in other cases it's not in any way my favorite Metallica and let me start by saying I'm not one of those people that thinks Metallica sold out doing this because there's plenty heavy on this there's plenty yeah. to like and you can't just make I guess you can make thrash metal your entire life, but for a band with the ambition and the talent that Metallica did, I think right. it's inevitable that they wanted to go in a different direction. So to me, they were never going to be built to play speed metal for 20 years. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that as a career, but you kind of saw them moving to some degree in this direction with injustice for all and and some of the stuff they were doing before it. So let me start by saying I have no bias on that. I I even didn't have biases when they reinvented themselves, you know, with sane anger later with a heavier, more regret, like revisiting that or some of the chances they took in the nineties that that was all fine by me. I think the interesting thing for me is on the positive side of this, you see some of the things that are really great about Metallica. James Hetfield's voice produced this way. You just, He's such a powerhouse voice. It's an incredible voice. I mean, that's really, he's just, he's this fascinating mix of the soaring vocals of the Nwaba bands, right? Mixed with this hard grit of 
a different type of metal fused together. He sings so clearly too, is the other thing that really, I think this style of production shows the guitar, I think is rock solid on this album. Uh, you can hear Jason Newstead's bass, which is nice <laughs> compared yeah. to, you know, what's happening there. There's yep. plenty of bass on the, I, I don't want to say they overcompensate it, but it's like, yep, did, it's there. I did pay attention to that. I was like, yeah. Did you notice it? That it yeah. suddenly it's there again. Yep. And that was a plus because that was my one criticism when we were talking before about, uh, famously, the bass just disappeared. I was like, damn it, where's that? But Kirk Hammett's guitar is great on this. Um, and just, I appreciate how, you know, but the concept of regular people listening to metal yeah. is fascinating to me. Like, and not, I'm not talking hair metal. I'm talking like metal metal. And this is really where it crosses the Rubicon, where you can listen to Metallica if you're not into metal and say, oh, I like this type of metal. And some people would deride that, but I I appreciate it because they're not making a much more watered down version of what they did before. There, there's a few more ballads. They're not playing thrash by any yep. means, but these are heavy tracks. Um, and I think one of the things that isn't realized is this version of Metallica fits very well with where like indie rock is growing, like the heavier rock that's coming you know we covered Soundgarden last week but you know alice in chain sound in many ways metallica fits nicely in that sort of angsty lane of yeah. what that was so it's kind of fortuitous that they were making this change while also that you know that the music itself was you know going mainstream with a harder edge than maybe it it had in pop culture before maybe since the 70s was the last time we saw some of that bleed into pop culture now i will say two things i don't like i i hate the drum mix of this album i hate the fact that lars I, i'm not a huge lars fan as a drummer uh i i'm not anti lars but i'm not a huge fan and the drums i felt on every song are so far in, it feels like every single song has like like in the very front and i'm just like oh i don't i want this pushed back a little bit in the mix so in the same way that um the mix for injustice for all i'm like how could the bass be mixed out of this on this one i'm like why did they make the decision to put the drum so forward on all of these songs and it's always been the thing i dislike most about bob rock's production on this it's not that he made them more accessible or anything it's that he made the decision to put that drum so far in front uh and i this it, it is in some ways this is like hair metal production and i am not a huge hair metal production guy and it is a little bit clean at times i know for some people that mm -hmm. might be an attribute and it's certainly the thing that broke them into the mainstream so i can't begrudge them for it and i know it was their decision to do it but i do feel the best version of metallica is rawer than this version of Metallica. Mm. And I do think in Chasing the Stars, which I give them credit for doing, in terms of the artistic merit of how they sound when they're at their most viable, I do feel they lose a little bit of, of what that is. And so that's my only complaint. It still is a thumbs up because there's good songs littered all over this album. Um, you know, there's what five MTV singles on yeah. this al album alone, which is remarkable. Um, and there's some songs that are really great songs that have high 
relistability. Like the Unforgiven is a really good ballad. Uh, but Metallica writes good ballads. You know, there's there's two very good ones on this one. Uh, Nothing else matters. I mean, Enter Sandman is a classic. It's almost hard to Enter Sandman is another one of those songs that's hard to couch. Like, how do I feel about this song? Because I've yeah. heard it a, a, a thousands of times, right? So it kind of goes from being a song you can process anymore to just a song that just exists in the world. Uh, but it's it's a great song. Uh, and it's a great video too. Um, so yeah, thumbs up, but I do wish they had pushed the drums back in the production. It's, mm. it's a little bit of a, a barrier for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew this album very well coming into today. This is this back in the day before I started getting CDs uh, back in my tape buying days, it was basically, it was for, there was a good period of time where it was basically like, use your illusion. And the black album was just like, regular listening material for me so so it's nice going back it's been a while since i've listened to this album in full i did write in my notes Mm. and i i would have said before you did this journey and i knew how much you liked the earlier metallica too matt i would be like this album was metallica's attempt to reach matt like Mm -hmm. his like like bridge the gap you know what i mean because it's hard but also well it's like a gateway metal album Yes. So yes. Ways. Yeah. So like, yeah. yeah, the the twelve year old version of you, it feels like it was written for you. Yeah. yeah. No, and yeah. I love it. And and to me, yeah. this, I mean, this, you know, as and I'm not, I don't ascribe to be a metal guy, right? Like, I think I'm getting a getting a better appreciation for it. Times. Yes, many times. And I'll say it again. But like, <laughs> but this is, yeah, this is my favorite Metallica album. I mean, this is this is kind of more in line with 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 the musical styles that i gravitate towards more yeah. um, i hear everything that you guys are saying about really liking the thrash and the speed and the, the rawness and i like all of those things but i to me this is you know musically this is a stronger album to me um it doesn't have the energy perhaps you yeah. know and and i don't necessarily need energy so much but like the musicality i think is is more appealing for me on this um I, I will say that, like, I did like going back, you know, like I said, I haven't listened to this in a while, and I was reminded of how great these songs are, even the ones that have been, like, Enter Sandman, right? Like, that's just a song that's just been played over and over again, yeah. and it's just, it's it's a song that I've taken for granted. It's just being like, yeah, it's a good song, right? But I really, I I really did like watching that documentary because there's the scene in the very beginning, the opening scene is there, you know, the Hetfield just sitting down and they're in the studio and they're starting to, they're figuring the song out and he's just playing it. And there, there was just something about watching them go through that. And then when Lars kind of kicks in with the drums and I was just like, and how that intro builds into yeah, the, 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 the rocking part, like when they're all playing it got together i'm just like this what a great opening track this is like up there is like one of the all-time great opening tracks and um and i just i think i had a greater appreciation for that song i definitely had a greater appreciation for the unforgiven which was a song that never that i remember back in the day wasn't one that stood out as being one of my favorites on here but i think that that's definitely a standout track it's interesting and uh, reading about that song that they they did a calculated thing with their with their ballads because in the past um the heavier part would be in the chorus and the more like laid back part would be in the verses. And they purposefully did the opposite for the forgiven. Mm. I was like, that's kind of a cool thing because you totally hear that. It's yeah. like a Western song too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this like Western showdown kind of thing that they're doing with that. But um, 
I just I, I I think that this is a really solid record. Um, I, I all the things and John, the things that you don't like about Lar- I like Lars's drums. I like the production styles. I don't mind the cleaner style that probably fits more in line with what I'm you, looking you for know, musically as a general rule. So those things didn't bother me as as much. I actually kind of like them. You know how I know there might be some truth to what I said if you listen to the remastered version of these songs, the drums uh-huh. are kicked back significantly (laughs) like i i would say listen to the original which is what i listened to the first couple times this week and then listen to the remastered oh it's notable well i listened to the remastered part though okay that'd be interesting because on i just walked put up on spotify i didn't know there were two different versions i listened to the original the first two times and then i was curious to hear the remastered oh maybe i should go back then and check that out Mm -hmm. then so okay that's interesting but i also think here there's there's some really good deep cuts on here i think you know i when I was first li- as a kid, when I would listen to this, I think after nothing else matters, it's not that I totally stopped and didn't listen to anything else, but I remember my interest waning after that, like not being that into it. But man, there's some, like the God that failed, my friend of misery have some really cool. Pl- my friend of misery's got. I love that opening bass line that Newstead's doing, and the, and the guitar solo is really cool in there. Um, but I just think I don't think there's a there's a weak song on here. This just it's a it's a captivating record. It's got a lot of energy. It yes the the thrash is turned down uh, or non-existent really, and this is more straight ahead. But um, you know, but I'm as being a non-metal person, it's 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 speaking to me on many different levels. And uh, yeah, I, I I really like I like their other stuff too. And I'm glad I got to listen to it, and know it a little bit better. But to me, this still stands out as being a record that I will probably I would probably reach for this more than I would for their other other records, um, which is probably blasphemy to many Metallica heads out there. But um, fair enough. You know, I, I mean, yeah. it's not my take. I just, yeah. this would be four, five, maybe mm-hmm. in terms of how I look at it. Um, but I, I think it was the right decision by them because yeah. I know their argument is that they thought we can't write any more eight minute songs like we got to go in a different, which I get. And I while I like the eight minute songs better. I also understand how you can't just keep churning that out or you become like a parody of yourself. So I can appreciate that they put variety in it and it would make their shows better because you're getting a variety of things. But yeah, I'm going to go back to like Master of Puppets and For Whom the Bell Tolls way more than I'm going to go back to almost anything on this album for sure. Yeah, Yeah. Of of Wolf and Man, that's another song that I really liked. Um, You named a lot of the other ones, Matt. And it's interesting you brought up Soundgarden too because in some ways I wasn't on that show, but that album is like as heavy as this album and in I guess the Venn diagram of metal and hard rock is like kind of, you know, getting thinner or overlapping more in the, in the nineties with, with that sort of stuff. Well, and I do, I just out of curiosity because I'm like, wow, I wonder if I'm nuts, like in hearing the different stuff, right. Cause you guys didn't hear it and stuff about yeah. the production and that. And so I started Googling and stuff. I found a thing and it said the first thing in it is, Bob Rock's first step was to encourage Metallica to use the drums to drive each song forward instead of lagging behind the guitars. So I'm like, all right, I wasn't nuts. <laughs> like, yeah. this is a new, a new variety. I, I, it's just so, it's the biggest difference, in my opinion, between the other albums and this one, is the drums are just so aggressively. And even on the remastered version, they're still way up there. So, hmm. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So well, if you want to hear uh, other people covering... Meta- these Metallica songs from the Black Album. You can you can go to the Metallica Blacklist, which is uh, a bunch of uh, several different versions. There's like 
six different versions of Enter Sandman, one by Weezer. Um, so you can hear all kinds of covers. <laughs> yeah, I, I Josh, have no Josh real looks, interest in hearing Josh looks almost Metallica. angry that I brought that up. <laughs> because you know they'd pick to play like Enter Sandman. They wouldn't yeah. pick, you know, most bands, you know, would pick a thing. They'd pick Enter Sandman. Yeah. Yeah. Why did they do that? Come on. Jesus. St. Vincent does a cover of Sad But True. Why not, man? The the Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know go, if I Josh. want to hear any any of those, but especially the Weezer one when you said that. <laughs> Most of these bands I haven't heard of, but yeah. But yeah, it's funny because if you go to it, there's like literally of each song, there's like at least four different versions of it. So you'd, you'd be listening to, if you just played it from start to finish, you listen to five different versions of the same song before you got to the second song. Oh, jeez. So it's quite the journey. It seems like a lot. It is. For one album. Interesting. Well, you know what else is a lot, guys? (laughs) You too. The lead up to U2 Octung Baby is a lot. It's going to be hard to synthesize this down. But until I get there, let's. In the opening montage, you heard Mysterious Ways, and now you're going to hear a little bit of Even Better Than the Real Thing. So we have covered you two on several occasions. We've oh, covered... let me get the let me get the yeah, numbers here, John. Numbers, yeah. mm-hmm. Octoon Baby comes in at number twenty in the nineteen nineties on best ever albums, number five in nineteen ninety one, number one hundred and twelve of all time. It's U two's second highest rated album on best ever albums behind uh the Joshua Tree. It's also ranked number one twenty four in Rolling Stones list, and U two is ranked number twenty two of overall artist rankings on best ever albums. Well, and we've covered uh, U2 three times in the 80s. We did War, The Unforgettable Fire, and The Joshua Tree. And within those reviews, I've run down the members of the band, where they're from, a bio. So instead of running that all over again, mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of let that lay a little bit. You can go back and listen to them because we talk about that quite a bit. I'm This one, I'm going to invert the bio a little bit, guys. In, the, in order to understand this album, you have to understand, like, what happened to U2 from 1987 to 1991, because that is completely what informs this album. So in 1987, U2 has released The Joshua Tree and toured extensively off of that album. They have broken into arguably being the biggest band in the world at this point. Um, And at the peak of that, which of course, if you remember, U2 looked at the Joshua Tree as a celebration of America, right? An American sounds, right? Uh, an Americana sound. And they kind of felt their career had progressed that way. Mm-hmm. And at the peak of this, in 1988, they make the album slash concert film Rattle and Hum in 1988. And to say Rattle and Hum was divisive is... <laughs> I, I read a lot about this all week, and... Mm. There were some people that that really liked Rattle and Hum, and there were a lot of people that did not like Rattle and Hum. And the biggest criticism of Rattle and Hum was that pretty much, uh, to synthesize it down, it was kind of, you 2 is up their own ass, which is kind of what <laughs> people said a little bit. They're, you know, they're bringing in Bo Diddley. They're like, they're the worst of both worlds. They're like nostalgic to like white rock and roll heroes, but also sort of pandery, right? To hmm. black blues heroes. And just, there were a lot of people, especially in the serious rock world, right? That just 
they were not feeling uh, Rattle and Hum at all. And the band was very, very aware of it. And uh, Rattle and Hum was was the Joshua Tree tour, right? Was what, what it was basically doing, as well as some original songs. And pretty much... Uh, it was the perfect storm for you two. It was sort of that they were seen as being kind of non-self-aware, but also overly serious and very literal, uh, which had been, by the way, originally things that had appealed to people about you two. But they kind of quickly crossed the Rubicon into delving into self-parody. It's interesting because you two would like be at this crossroads several other times, I feel like, in their artistic career at different points. But this is probably their most successful pivot. And pretty much what happens is they kind of get together and the band splits into two camps. Uh, Bono and The Edge begin to advocate for more, uh, like, say, I think, in the songwriting a little bit. And they all sort of agree that they, they weren't really they didn't really feel that even though they were viewed as the biggest band in the world, in some ways they didn't feel like they had earned it. Right. They didn't feel like their material was up to that level. Wait, so Bono, Bono and the edge argued that each one, they, they, they wanted more. They wanted more set. So like what happened is at first kind of the band went on hiatus for a little bit and they were given the say, but what ends up happening? And and I I jumped a little bit ahead. Right. So the band first is in agreement. They're like, we kind of need to change directions. We're leaning into this America thing a little bit too much. We don't feel our, our, the quality of the work we're doing right now. Now it's hard to say you're coming off the Joshua tree, highly critically acclaimed, but they really, they felt like the material they were creating in the aftermath it just they felt there was more they could do there was more mm-hmm. they had to say and they're pretty much all in agreement with that um it also they were struggling with figuring out how to channel their influences like they were influenced by a lot of groups that wanted to pay homage to them but then also they didn't kind of feel like they were doing a great job of bringing in the u2ness right to their their homages so to speak and that was kind of a criticism of them so they were in agreement with some of the stuff another thing that's happening is they agree that they maybe had pursued like nostalgia in their worldview songwriting a little bit too much it's always going to be there but maybe they should be a little bit more contemporary so they start looking out at things like dance music they look at hip-hop for the first time they start to look at musical scores experimental music, all kinds of stuff. And so Bono and The Edge are really in this, and they start writing songs together without Adam Clayton or Larry Mullen Jr., which at first is not a big deal. So what ends up happening, though, is they bring this material into the studio, and they begin to play it. Now, it's important to also note that the studio is crowded. They've got an engineer, Mark Flood Ellis. Uh, They've got Brian Eno in the most oblique strategy brian eno (laughs) you could possibly get right they decided they wanted to go back to that because jimmy iovine had been the rattle and hum producer and they didn't think that they thought it was too nostalgic kind of so they got brian eno there they also have daniel illinois who was the guy who did unforgettable fire and joshua tree and was very proud of their sound there so you've got lanois i think so lanois excuse me I, i apologize yeah so they uh thank you for cleaning that stack as i'm going i'm sorry i'm just i'm ahead of myself in terms of trying to synthesize all this together so you've got uh 
you've got Daniel who's trying to kind of bring him back to, you know, class, you know, the, the U2 of Joshua Tree, Unforgettable Fire. You've got Larry Mullen Jr. and Adam Clayton who like prefer traditional song structures, rock song structures, right, as the rhythm section. You've got U2 and The Edge who are like, let's push all the boundaries. You've got Brian Eno who's, you know, literally running around with what he's calling lateral thinking and a philosophical <laughs> approach along Jeez. with the actual oblique strategies there. And his goal is... He wanted to come in and erase every anything that sounded too much like classic U2. So you've got all of these people in the studio. And as you can imagine, they settle they're trying to settle on a sound and it's not going very well. There's a loose theme of this of the end of the Cold War and especially the fall of East Germany, hence the Achtung Baby title. And they're producing these materials and it's just not going well. They're they're working long days. The rhythm section wants one thing, right? Uh, the rhythm section was one thing. Bono is really getting, as you see in this album, personal with his lyrics. There's a lot of sex on this. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there's still religion because it is you too after all, but there's a lot of other things going on song wise. And, and Bono is all in and pushing the boundaries. The edge meanwhile is mainlining like the young gods who we listen to and nine inch nails and stuff and that's who he's doing meanwhile while he's doing all that larry mullen jr has decided to go back to his roots in classic rock like cream and blind faith and Jimi hendrix and and his goal on the next album was to learn how to play around the beat and and adam clayton was the one who most wanted to sound like old u2 right and kind of lean into that a little bit so the Edge is suggesting they put more drum machine sounds in, which of course makes Larry Mulcher be like, wait a second, like I'm the drummer of this band. I don't think we need a drum machine and stuff like that. So it's just kind of a mess. At one point, Adam Clayton's like holding up his bass guitar in front of Bono and saying like, you tell me what to play and I'll play it. You want to play it yourself? Go ahead and teach yourself the bass basically. So they're not in a yeah. great spot um, in terms of their sound. But eventually... They start to figure it out. They they cite one. Uh, the song one is kind of where it starts to break through a little bit, where they all start to figure out how to, you know, the, the playing around the beat. Larry Mullen Jr. starts to figure it out. Edge is figuring out how he can do chord progressions because his guitar playing is very different on this album by design. And they kind of all just put it together and they credit that. Uh, they credit some of it also to Brian Eno, who visited for a few days in the midst of the conflict. And under uh, the quote I see is, understanding their attempts to deconstruct the band for a new band, he assured them that their progress was better than they thought it was, which was a real vote of confidence. So along <laughs> there, and basically, uh, I'm going to kind of stop there because I keep going. There's all kinds of crazy stories there. They left the original recordings done in Berlin because they're trying to, you know, get the, the Iggy, you know, Iggy pop bowie vibe right there oh, as well yeah. mm -hmm. they left them in a hotel room and they all get boot like bootlegged <laughs> and, and they're released in like a three disc uh bootleg collection before this album's ever there bono tries to like say it's not a big deal but the edge in the in the press is saying it feels like they got violated so of course you know they're giving out mixed messages there they're doing they released a ton of material on this some of which would get put into like outtakes albums that would come 
later in the decade you know this is when they're 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 making like lemon and stuff you know the song that comes later in the mm-hmm. post disco era yeah. yeah well zooropa zoo tv is what this this tour is called and zoo tv leads into zooropa and zoo tv is the tour that's after this album in which you two you know, brings in pop culture it's designed to be more trashy it's supposed to be a little bit like euro trashy and the band tried to have a little bit more of a sense of humor kind of and lean into a little bit of self-deprecation a little bit because they were viewed as so you could kind of look at this album as like a response to all the stuff that people made fun of and probably continue to make fun of you two in some ways a certain slice of it you know that you know with you two it's always literal and then being ahead of the curve and you know where they fall on that so that's kind of where it's at that tour that zoo tv tour was huge um, yep. this album was huge as well um it was considered to be a return to form it was very well regarded um by the critics i know that's kind of a a, a version of the bios we used to do i apologize i'm normally the short bio guy but there's a lot that had to be said about this album. I probably could have gone another 20 minutes talking about the bio for this because there's a lot of primary source material on this. And U2 was very good at taping everything around them. So there's a lot of stuff you can look at of what's going on. So anyway, now that I've done that, uh, first take, I think, goes to Matt on this album. Yeah, so I'm glad... I'm covering this because uh, it's been a while since I've listened to this album. I, I didn't get it when it came out. I got it many, many years later. Um, and I just, I, I think I still have a feeling with you 2 that there's so many songs of theirs that I really like and that I forget about when I hear them again. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's a good song. Man, that's a good song. You know, and it's just, but there's still something about them that I hesitate at like, bringing to the next level but I love this band or being a band that comes to the forefront of my mind when I start talking about the all-time greats greats in in Matt's musical world you know and I just and I don't know if it's in part because of some of the stuff that you were just mentioning there John with kind of some of the ridiculous nature of the band which typically doesn't you know the all that backstory and all the the personality stuff generally doesn't get in my way of just really liking a band or an album or a song or something like that and there just there does seem to be this kind of like barrier between me and really getting into you two the way that so many other people do right um and so i don't i just that somewhat continues like after listening to this. Um, but I think, and I just felt that was worth, worth noting because they're, they are a unique band for me and my relationship with them. Um, you know, because of that, uh, this album is really strong. Um, and I, it, it might, I think I might even like it better than the Joshua tree. Um, and, and I, and I forgot about a lot of the songs on this, right? And even songs that I historically might have written off as being like, yeah, that's just okay. Like a song like even better than The Real Thing or Mysterious Ways, Mm -hmm. you know, um, songs that have been, there were huge songs that were on MTV all the time we heard on the radio, um, you know, would but those would also be songs that if I came across the radio or saw on MTV, I'd watch a little bit and I'd turn it off. Not because I was like, I hate this song, but just because I was like, that's it's not grabbing me as much as I wanted to. Um, but listening to it this this week, 
I'm like, yeah, these are really, these are good songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a very strong album. And I like the direction that the band goes in. I do like Edge is doing all kinds of stuff, guitar sounds and whatever, even though it's still, there's still some very quintessential Edge, Edge sounds to this. He does a lot of that. He does sound different on this. Yeah, but he's still, but he's still. Well, also that was holds... very much by design. Yeah. He's yeah. trying but he to also, do different things. But he also still has his core. He's not totally. He hasn't totally the deviated from edge. his es- the essence of Edge. Exactly, <laughs> Josh. You know, um, and this has some. This has. I mean, one that song. That's that's a that is a top five U two song. Depending on the day, that might be the u2 song for me it's just a it's a beautiful song and for a non-lyrics guy i do like i do love the lyrics for that and it's just the way that it builds that the production behind it the bono's voice i still maintain for me my favorite aspect of u2 is bono's voice i think he's a fantastic rock singer and front man um and uh and i just i think he just i think he hits on it on so many different places here but there's also a lot of great deep cuts on here um you know i've really liked act the last couple tracks like acrobat is is a really cool song and i did pay attention to some lyrics there it's you know i must be an acrobat to think like this and or that to talk like this and act like that. I'm like, that's a cool line. You know, so I was picking up a little bit on some things here and there. If um, you want to psychoanalyze Bono, this is the album to psychoanalyze yeah, Bono yeah. on. Holy well, cow, I don't, lyrically. I don't know if I want to do that, but I, I, I'm just, I'm recognizing some interesting lyrical, you know, things. The thing about the, I'm drowning in my sorrows, but my sorrows learn to swim. It's like, that's a cool, th- you know, just like little <laughs> things like that that are kind of, you know, unique and different. Um, I love Love is Blindness, but I can't help but think of when I hear that song, but think think of the the Jack White cover of that which is one of my all-time favorite cover versions I mean he murders that song so I do like that I like the Jack White version better but it's still a really cool song to end it's like this it's, there's a dark feeling with some of these you know undertone with a lot of these songs the melancholy minor key kind of thing which I generally like um you know and uh but generally yeah man it's, it's from start to finish it's a really solid record and um it's got great little parts of it there's there's so many parts of this record that I can pinpoint that's my favorite that little line that little shift in the in 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 the uh, the chord progression or whatever that's my favorite part of that song you know so there's there's plenty of moments on this album that i that i look forward to and and uh and really you know it and really it really connects with me when i hear it so so yeah um it's a it's a big thumbs up for me but it's still not enough for me to be like i love you too you know <laughs> i can't i can't do it but i still think this is a very strong album so thumbs up for me yeah i am with you Matt, I really like this album, and I thought it was going to be a hot take, but I think I like this album better than Joshua Tree. Also, mm-hmm. um, whatever they did to like rein themselves in or like experiment more, it really worked for me this time around. And um, they, it feels like there's not as I don't know. I, I classify Joshua Tree as like having a lot of space, and there's a lot of like reverb or like i don't know the edges guitar just seems to go on for infinity and a lot of numbers on there and stuff and it, i don't get that feeling here uh, whatever eno did i guess worked um and it's strategy well eno was less he was the producer but he did less of the nuts and bolts producing mm, he was okay. like as much spiritual advisor as like nuts and bolts production looks like yeah. lanois was all over it lanois like, was the guy who was really producing yeah. this yep mm-hmm. yeah well i, I like what he did I, and steve and lily white as well oh, okay he's yeah. on there mm-hmm. too yeah so i really like the guitar throughout and like you said matt there's a lot of good songs that i forgot 
or by you two that were on this and mm-hmm. i just wasn't as familiar with this album in general i probably only listened to it like once before or something along the way and i really like the drums on this album especially on the opening track zoo station i feel like it really sets the tempo for the rest of the album carrying into even better than the real thing that's a nice like upbeat uh number and then yeah it really uh bono continues to like demonstrate you know how how like soaring his voice can be with one and who's going to ride your wild horses um i guess just over and over i everything that they're doing is cohering for me the guitar uh, primarily is always kind of my favorite thing about them and just the um the way they're able to navigate between like these big i don't know these big stadium kind of mm-hmm. rock songs and and uh, the ballads that they do. And I liked some of the deep cuts too, like Ultraviolet I liked and um, and The Fly, things like that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm, no, I'm no U2 expert or uh, super fan, like we've said. And, the, um, and uh, so, yeah, thumbs up for me. Um, is it as, I, I think I still like... Um, maybe war the best uh but it's been a while since we talked about that album um this might be you know it's different than war was you know their sound had changed mm-hmm. um by by this point but um as kind of the modern quote unquote modern u2 at this point um yeah it's it's a strong recommendation for me so thumbs up yeah, the, for me, this is the U2 album. Like, I think this is their best and most complete album. Uh, I like War, um, and Boy, for that matter, an earlier yeah. one. I appreciate Joshua Tree and the highs on that, but I think this is this is a very ambitious album. This is a this is a really good version of ambitious U2. And like we said before, they're always walking that tightrope of being too ambitious. But mm-hmm. I, a lot of what they do on this hits. Um, it's funny, Matt, that you mentioned um, even better than the real thing in mysterious ways. And like, I don't know how to feel about them. Like, I feel that's two of U2's best songs ever. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the bass is great on those songs. You get the edge perfectly weaving in and out of those songs. The drums sound great. This album has... This is the opposite in some ways of the Metallica album we talked about where I liked the album, but there were parts of the production I didn't love. This album is immaculately produced. It sounds fantastic from start to finish. It's that it's clean, but mm-hmm. it's not too clean. It's the perfect kind of clean. It's clean in a way that allows you to appreciate all the pieces of the band. Um, I think a standout on this that isn't always the case for me on YouTube albums is I think the rhythm section is really, really good on this album. And I think that maybe they might've been more resistant to it, but some of the things that, that Bono and the edge were pushing them into with a, a more modern sound, it, like helps to have the rhythm section pop a little bit more. My initial notes are the edge is playing is still distinctively the edge, mm-hmm. but he is definitely, um, instead of creating the space with elongated notes, he's, there's still a lot of space in here, but, and there's still the ringing sound, but he's at times he's almost playing the role of the bass 
in some of these songs and at other times he's playing solos which is not something i think of with the edges playing at all the edge usually exists always within an ensemble piece you notice him but he's in the ensemble here he gets as close as i think he ever gets to playing solos and a perfect example is like an even better than the real thing like his guitar part at times takes on the role of a a solo um at times that like you know that there's there's a rhythm section behind it but he's almost playing like a solo guitar part like a bit and so um i i think there's tons of deep cuts on this album that Mm -hmm. are excellent um i think the fly is a really good deep cut i think uh love is blindness and acrobat that you mentioned matt it are really really good deep cuts i like the song ultraviolet light my way quite a bit i think they're very interesting songs and holy shit like bono i don't know what's going on in his life but like bono's libido is here and dark like dark at times and there's a little bit less mother and a little bit of the same amount of i shouldn't say a little bit still plenty of religious iconography but it's it's a a more um it's a darker album uh lyrically than i think of with bono and i joke around a lot about he's always you know aspirational or contemplative kind Mm -hmm. of this is the least aspirational and confrontation or uh 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 contemplate if he's ever been this is a lot more direct and this is a lot more him almost leaning into like alter egos which is such a an odd thing for bono because he's normally so direct the the directness and the earnestness right is his thing i feel on this one and i and i can tell it's absolutely a choice he's making because it stands out so much um and i like it um and i know that he basically played these characters in the zoo tv tour after mm-hmm. it so like they were like the fly was a character he played and you know he played you know this propagandist and stuff along there uh and then you throw in the fact that you know many people's favorite u2 song i like it quite a bit i don't know if it's my favorite but one which is a, a fantastic ballad once again sounds amazing it's it's bono it's a tour de force of bono's voice it's got basically the other three members of the group serving as almost like an orchestral arrangement behind him in the way that their stuff plays together. Once again, that's that's another example of where I talk about the Edge's guitar can kind of sound like a bass part at times because it functions as both the lead guitar and an accentuation to Adam Clayton's bass. And I know the Edge said that a lot of his development of his guitar style came from different places, but some of it was the fact that Adam Clayton played the bass non-traditionally he didn't necessarily keep the time all the time. So he had to kind of keep the time with the drums. So he listens to the drums a lot more. And when you know that you can kind of hear it a little bit more, especially on the earlier U2 albums. But I think this is, um, I'll go so far as to say pretty clearly their best album. Um, and it's the one that if I were to recommend, if somebody were to say to me, what's the big deal about U2, I would point it to this album Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I might yeah. do that too. Um, I, 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 it's been a while since I listened to War, um, but I that that it's that this the Joshua Tree, um, are probably the you know the top three of course um, for me. But I, I, I wouldn't really argue with that, John. I, I think that there's, and this is more of a, um, you know, the earlier U two, which I do like a lot. This is more of what U two became known for. Like this is the U two sound. 
right? More so than those earlier records. Yeah. And um, well, and, I don't. You know, I, I might disagree with that because I think Sunday Bloody Sunday type sound is very much a U two sound too. It, know, no, it is, and I'm not pride in the name of love those are yeah. yes that's but i think sound too. i to me i think you two got more known you know it, it it around you know this the joshua tree even some of the later albums that they did not necessarily zuropa and pop but like you know um uh all that you can't leave behind kind of picked right. up where this left off with the yes. and even atomic bomb like the the, the more mainstream not mainstream yeah i guess it's they more sold more albums and, and people yeah. know them more for this and the and, and the bigger production like the anthemic nature of u2 has kind of always been there but the production style that they became more known for I as a whole that. is kind of like is although is what this is. although you have to the only other the only argument to that would be that the that the joshua tree also sold a zillion albums yeah. and i don't think this sounds much like the joshua tree yeah that's fair i don't at least for me but I think like, with the Edge yeah. experimenting with the different sounds and stuff like that, like that's that's really his talent. He's not so much a virtuoso guitar player. He's like, he's a sound sonic guy that's gonna like experiment with the different things that, you know, ways that he can make the guitar do a unique thing. And he just does so many different things. But it's still very much him. I think that that's his genius. He still finds a way I, to make it his own sound. I feel like the rest of the '90s, they were trying to write a song better than even better than the real thing, but they never quite did. They kept trying to do something like that. And then I felt in the 2000s, they kept trying to rewrite who's going to ride your wild horses. That's kind of my hot take. Well, they just, I mean, the other albums after this were like way more produced and so that dance oriented and kind of just, you know, um, they were reaching for something. Who's going to ride your wild horses? You could see that on Atomic Bomb, like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. At least in my opinion. So, but I I know what you're saying, Matt. This is when they're at least, maybe it's though your concept of you two, because really that's when they become, you know, you're aware of them, right? From like, yeah, no, there's true. But, but also a lot of other, not just me, right? This, this was, they were huge around this time. Like they were all over the place, the tour. Like this is like, you know, the same thing we just talked about Metallica, like the thing that really yeah. broke them through the stratosphere that made them m- more well-known, not saying it better or, or worse, but just more of like mm-hmm. the classic sound that became their their staple is more in line with this than it was with War and Boy in October. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I just think there's like three U2s and this is U2 version two, maybe the most well-known version. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So we get to the end of this episode, still under two hours. So we're doing well right here. Um, Matt, will you run down what we're covering next week? I don't know if that was under two hours, but. (laughs) All right. Well, in my mind, Uh, it was. Yeah. Um, Next week, uh, we are covering the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, with Blood Sugar Sex Magic, uh, Slint's Spiderland, Mm -hmm. Pearl Jam's 10, and Sunny. Sonny Chirac with Ask the Ages. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple albums I'm very familiar with and two that I'm not. So, hmm. um, And then we've got some singles. Do you want me to run those two? I'd love you to. Okay. Well, we're going to be covering um, Broadcast with their song Echo's Answer, followed by Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. Not sure how that goes. Um, XTC's Mayor of Simpleton. I think we've talked about that song before. Um, mm-hmm. High Five's The Kissing Game. 
and Scorpions, Winds of Change. Scorpions, which have been around since the beginning of this I podcast know. in the nineteen sixties. <laughs> so they are still amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, any final thoughts, guys, for retire for Turkey Day? No. Uh no. Good albums this week, as always. Yeah, it's always an interesting 90s is a wild ride, man. Mm -hmm. So, well, for those of you that are in America, enjoy your Thanksgiving. For those uh, of you that are in the rest of the world, I guess enjoy your Thursday. (laughs) And uh, we'll see you (laughs) next week. Coming to Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at combingthe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.